podcast has bad words. <laughs> Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it Hello, everybody. Welcome to The Minimalist Podcast, where we discuss what it means to live a meaningful life with less. My name is Joshua Fields Milburn. And I am Ryan Nicodemus, and together we are The Minimalists. Welcome to episode 131. Today, we are going to talk about the Utah Jazz have made it past the first round of the playoffs. Oh, my God. How exciting. <laughs> <laughs> Do they have a chance, Josh? Uh, I don't know. TK, did Utah Jazz have a chance? This year? I mean, come on. They, they beat OKC. And by the way, we've lost 70% of our audience already. <laughs> they're already like They've already deleting this. We never up. talk about sports on the podcast. So. Oh, I love it. So here's the crazy thing about both the Utah Jazz and the OKC series. First, at the end of the year, the Utah Jazz, they lose Gordon Hayward. Mm. And everybody counts them out. Everybody says these guys are going to be terrible. Uh-huh. The Pacers lose Paul George. Paul George goes to OKC, and everybody says the Pacers are going to be terrible now, uh-huh. and Paul George is going to lead OKC to revenge against Golden State. And the complete opposite happens. Utah gets really good, <laughs> uh-huh. and they beat the team that Paul George went to, yeah. and then the Pacers have a total breakout year and push LeBron and the Cavs to Game 7. Nobody thought at the beginning of the year that the Utah Jazz and the Indiana Pacers would look this impressive in the NBA playoffs. So maybe the absence of Gordon Hayward and Paul George kind of give us a new uh, idea about how we can succeed in life. Get get rid of your star player and you'll go further. To me, it was, yeah. a per- it was like the, the perfect <laughs> metaphor. metaphor man. <laughs> so, so like, in fact, I wrote this down for a reason because I was... I, I, I gave up on uh, basketball in 1998, game six of the finals, because my team, uh, the Utah Jazz, lost. Um, yeah, yeah, you remember game six. Uh, and, and anyway, so I just sort of gave up on basketball for the last two decades and finally decided to come back. But I, I, I was watching the series, and it was like, oh, this is the perfect metaphor for teamwork. You have this team mm-hmm. in the Utah Jazz who probably doesn't have a top 20 player on their team. You, you could argue. I mean, you, you can make some arguments. But... Most likely, they don't have a top 20 player, but they are the top seven teams in the NBA right now, mm, right? Yeah. Um, and and you look at this, and you, you realize, like, oh, like, like it is true that the whole is greater than than, uh, than than these little parts that you have. Like, you have some teams that have these great parts. You have a great performer, but a great performer doesn't necessarily make a great team. And very, was, r- yeah, very rarely does, like, one performer. I mean, it happens. Right, but when you have a when you have a whole team that is supporting each other, you usually have a much better result. Yeah. It makes me think about what we do with the minimalist man. It's like I'm awesome. <laughs> I know I'm awesome, man. No, <laughs> no, but seriously, it's like you know, Josh is great. I'm great, but without Sean, this podcast isn't nearly as awesome. It's just two guys rambling in a room, right? And it's not exactly, being recorded. <laughs> exactly with a with a really bad, uh, poorly produced uh, podcast. Right. If it's not for Jess Williams, our social media isn't as awesome as as it is. If That's it isn't, true. If it isn't for the people who help edit. Our, our our books when we when we uh, call out for people to uh, to edit those. I mean, it's every little piece makes makes a huge difference, man. Absolutely. And so I, I think that you know I was I was watching my my daughter. She's four. She'll be five next month. She was playing soccer this uh, this weekend and. Uh, she is the Russell Westbrook of her soccer team. She has all 
the talent, but not the skill to play with a team. And so, like, she's clearly the best and the worst player on the field at the same time. Like, <laughs> yeah, the most yeah. a- athletic has has the most talent, yeah. but then also is like. I saw a tweet this morning. It said, what position is it when my five-year-old picks dandelions on the soccer field? <laughs> like, that's kind of the thing. Like, she's just not paying attention. It's and, center picker. <laughs> right. There's, <laughs> there's something going on there. Um, I, I think I think there's a, a great insight there. I, I wrote a blog post about this concept called Give Me a System, Not a Superstar, and how when we try to build organizations or create projects, it's easy to think that what we need is a superstar. Like, mm-hmm. give me a big time money-making venture capitalist. Give me the world's greatest CEO. And sometimes when you have a whole lot of talent concentrated around a single person or a small group of people, it, it, it makes you lazy because yeah. you can compensate for all of the inefficiencies. When you've got a guy like Russell Westbrook who can will himself to a triple-double, who can just go crazy like he did in game five and lead the team back to a massive comeback taking over the game, it it makes you kind of say things like, yeah, maybe we don't need an offense. Maybe we don't need to play defense mm-hmm. because you can afford to get away with it. But when you're a team like the Utah Jazz, and you don't have that star, you can't be lazy, so you've gotta think about your system. You've gotta have a sophisticated offense to run. And I think that's just an important lesson in life in general. It's easy to rely on your natural talent, on the things that make you great, but it's important to step back and say, what would I do if I didn't have that? What's my Russell Westbrook? You know, and what would I do if I didn't have Russell? Yeah, you know? yeah. yeah, and, and yeah. so let's 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 see how we can apply that because today we're going to talk about schooling and education and careers and should, college. Should we introduce TK? Well, we, we probably should. So, <laughs> so now you all know that we don't do interviews, so that's not what we're here to do today. But occasionally we bring friends on, and we have a new friend with us today to help us answer some questions that some folks have. Uh, we have TK Coleman in the building, ladies and gentlemen. TK Coleman. Um, uh, TK, you are the education director at a company called Praxis, a company that you founded. Can you talk a little bit about what you do at Praxis, what your company does? Absolutely. So Praxis is a career launch program where we help aspiring professionals establish the foundation upon which they can build their careers. Um, And we orient education around their goals. One of the analogies I like to use is I like to say we're fitness trainers for people's career. When you go to the gym, your fitness trainer doesn't tell you, all right, I want you to run around that track or I want you to lift some weights. Your fitness trainer starts with you. Your fitness trainer says, why are you here? And maybe your reason is you've got a wedding coming up and you want to fit into that suit and look nice. Maybe your reason is there's a marathon coming up and I want to succeed in that marathon. You get to establish what the goal is. And then what the fitness trainer does is they help create a set of experiences that show you how to use the tools in a way that helps you get where you want to be. So every gym has all of this equipment, but each person who comes to the gym uses that equipment in a customized way, uh, in a way that caters to what it is they're trying to seek after. So my philosophy of education is essentially this. Education doesn't begin with some uh, elitist bureaucratic notion of what people ought to learn. Education begins with what results you, the learner, want to create, right? Mm. And the teacher, what the teacher knows becomes relevant once that information has been obtained. And the teacher uses their knowledge, their experience, their resources to help you create those results. So that's essentially what Praxis aims to do philosophically. The way we go about it is it's a one-year program. And when participants come into the program, they spend the first six months doing what we call our entrepreneurial professional boot camp. They learn all sorts of things about 
you know, digital literacy, personal branding, how to how to create value propositions, how to find their voice as writers, communicators, all these different types of things. And then in the subsequent six months, they work at a startup and they learn by doing. They learn how to create value in the marketplace. They don't play with fake money. They don't pretend to do business. They deal with real customers, real responsibilities, because our conviction is that if the risk involved in the learning process are not real, then the rewards of the learning process are not real. So that's, in a nutshell, what we do. If uh, people want to learn more about Praxis, uh, where do they go to, to check it out? Discover, as in discover a new world, discoverpraxis.com. That's P-R-A-X-I-S, discoverpraxis.com. Cool. Beautiful. Sean, if you put a link to that yeah. in the show notes as well, then people can uh, can check that out. And the reason I wanted to bring you in here today, TK, is I've been a fan of your work for a while. I first uh, found out about you from Steve Patterson's uh, podcast. You So you have some views that you aren't afraid to talk about with respect to race and with respect to politics two things that that we'll steer away from today but maybe maybe we'll have you back on and we can talk about those those topics <laughs> sure as, as well um but uh for, for I me can minimalize my friendships <laughs> <laughs> uh i i was i was uh, really impressed by uh your ability to to communicate um, some thoughts that are maybe considered uh, against the grain, against the status quo, or even avant-garde thoughts in a way that that were for me um, helped me sort of solidify my position on a few things. And I think you do a really good job through your blog or through your podcasts, and we can certainly talk about those. And so I thought today uh, you were the perfect person because we had a few questions to dive into about schooling and education. So folks want to want to know what direction in which they should go. Y'all think we should dive into these questions? Let's do it. All right. Let's our first in. question today is from Brianna in New York. I'm 23 years old and I've been working at a hotel um, for a year now and a few months. And I have found myself being incredibly miserable with what I'm doing. I'm a housekeeper. Um, I deal with um, a lot of stress, and a lot of pressure from my department. Um, especially from the director of my department, and um, it's just not a right job for me. It's just not a right job for me, and I want to leave, but it's difficult for me to find another job at the current moment because I'm spending so much time at the hotel that I work at, and I'm just absolutely miserable there, and I deal with, you know, cleaning tons of, tons of rooms and just... Um, being very organized is very difficult because I have to have, I have a cart and I have to put a lot of stuff on it and I just feel like I'm very disorganized when I'm there and I'm just really, really stressed out and just not happy. The only time I'm going to leave is when I don't have to be there, you know, and I've been thinking about going to college, but I've kind of put that to the side for a bit because I've just been so overwhelmed with everything, thinking about what I'm going to do next with my life, thinking about, you know, where I'm going to live in the future, and social life, which I don't really have right now and I just want your advice on what to do. Should I leave the job and with my with my sanity or should I stay until I find another job? All right, so the first thing I thought about, well, two things I thought about here, Ryan, is uh, the first thing, I saw this tweet recently and the tweet was, uh, I don't remember what I wanted to be when I was growing up, but I know it wasn't this. Right. 
<laughs> oh. What a bad feeling, man. Yeah. Like, and for me, I, I remember when someone asked me, I was a little kid, uh, it must have been Ella's age. I was probably four. And someone asked me, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I mm. said, I want to be either an alligator or a ninja. <laughs> that was a good dream. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> and I mean, I don't know what Freud would say about those things, but maybe like the alligator is like, I want to have thicker skin or and the ninjas i just want to have a really silent job <laughs> um uh but but uh the other thing that i that i thought about and i think that's an important question for for brianna is like you know is what you're doing now what you envisioned you'd be doing and if not that's okay you can be in a position right now where you're paying your bills but what are you what are you moving toward but the other thing i want to i just want to acknowledge her because i hear this despair in her voice Oh, yeah. I, and, and and she's in a tornado right now. Absolutely right. And, and I've gone through uh, years of despair. It, it when a moment when I thought I was supposed to be at the peak of my life. Right when when I was 28 years old, I was the youngest director on our company's 140 year history. I um, uh, managed 150 retail stores. I was living this life of ostensible success, but it wasn't my version of of being successful. Right, like it was this life of of it was I would get, been given this template, and I fulfilled the template, not realizing that my ladder was leaned against the wrong building. I just continued to climb that ladder, and oh crap! Now I'm really high up here, and I haven't reached the place where where I I want to go. I didn't feel like I was fostering my creativity or my relationships or my health. I was working 80, 80, 80 hours a week doing something that was not. Uh, um, it was not fulfilling. Uh, I, I'm, I got little bits of ephemeral pleasure because I, I had paychecks that allowed me to to buy things or finance things that that gave me these fleeting pleasures. But it wasn't it wasn't the same thing as happiness or contentment. You know, it's funny, man. I started working in the corporate world with you solely based on the salary, solely based on those commission checks that you were showing me that 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 you were paying out to your the people that you were managing. Mm -hmm. And I remember I just saw those paychecks and I'm like, Oh, I want to get paychecks like that. Like I want to, I want to make that much money. And so I got, I started, you know, selling cell phones, very entry level position. And what happened is, is as I got bigger and bigger paychecks, I started basically putting myself into more and more debt. So I kind of created this situation where it sounds like, you know, maybe, uh, maybe Brianna is, is in this situation now where, you start a job just thinking, all right, this is what's going to help me get by. And then you accumulate all of this debt and you build a lifestyle around what that job provides for you. And, it, and you all of a sudden realize you're stuck and that it's, it's, it feels very impossible to get out. Um, let's talk about like, what, what is step number one for Brianna here? Like, well, what I, think, it, I think she's what on is, step number one. So, so okay. the second thing that I, that I thought about here is, so she's asking some questions mm-hmm. and that is so important. When we first talk about minimalism and, and simplifying people are like, what's the first thing you should do? I'm like, ask yourself, how might your life be better with less? Mm. Because that question helps you understand the why behind the what. The what becomes much easier if you understand why you're doing what you're doing. And I'm holding here in my hand this uh, short essay from T.K. Coleman. You can find it on his his blog, tkcoleman.com. And let's just talk about it. I won't read the whole thing here, but the title of it is Question Everything, Not Just the Alternatives. I'm just going to read the first paragraph, and maybe it'll be a good jump-off point for us. Because T.K. wrote here, If you want to go to college and still be accepted by your family and friends... You don't need a good reason for attending. The world will gladly accept your decision and praise you for it without the slightest bit of scrutiny. If you want to pursue an alternative, however, 
Get ready for the most intense interrogation of your life because people will finally begin to care about all sorts of questions they'd never dare pose to a college student or college administrator. Amen. <laughs> and, and you go on to talk about how it, actually this questioning is good. This uh, sort of self-interrogation is good. Can we talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, uh, alternatives to the status quo or things that are that show up in our lives as as disruptions tend to make us ask questions. But the thing to keep in mind is that those questions can also be asked of the things that we're currently doing. And some of the most valuable insights come from identifying those assumptions that have become invisible to us, because there are a lot of things that show up as reality. They show up as the way it is when in reality, that's just a point of view. That's just a particular focal setting that can be challenged and new vistas of possibility, so to speak, can be opened up as a result of that process of questioning. So as it pertains to this concern uh, or this question that we're addressing, one thing I would question is the the opportunity that is in front of you. What opportunities am I overlooking? Um, not not what opportunities do I need to seek that, that are in some other place, but what about the opportunities that are where I'm currently located? So mm-hmm. I'll use an, uh, an analogy from Disney, the princess and the frog. You have this frog who is really a prince that has been cursed and has taken this hideous, ugly form. Uh, and if the princess kisses the frog, that frog will turn into a prince. Now, everybody wants a prince. Every princess wants a prince, but nobody wants to kiss that damn frog, right? Um, so so how, how do you get the prince? By hoping for a prince, by wishing for a prince, by waiting for a prince. No, you gotta kiss that ugly, hideous frog while it's ugly and hideous, right? And the act of kissing that ugly thing is what transforms it into this beautiful thing that you've always dreamed of. Uh, sometimes we make the mistake of waiting for our lives to become lovable before we live it, right? Mm-hmm. But you have to love your life in order for it to become livable. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, my dad talks a lot about how um, people make such a big deal about the law of attraction, right? If I focus on the things that I want, maybe I can bring those things into my experience, but they don't focus on what he calls the law of recognition, which is practicing my ability to see the opportunities that are already there so that I'm not focusing on attracting things, but rather taking advantage of what is already here with me. Um, so my, my first step would be to say, step back for a moment um, and realize that the fastest way to get where you wanna be is by learning to appreciate where you are and respect yourself for what you're currently doing. Mm. And I don't mean that in some mystical vague sense, like if you respect yourself and if you're grateful, life will just give you all the opportunities. Gratitude no. is the attitude. Yeah, yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but, but really, when you, when you live in a state of appreciation and self-respect, you become more playful, you become more creative, you become more intelligent, it actually makes you a better decision maker. Your ability to recognize opportunity improves. Um, And what happens is so many people, when they find themselves in jobs they don't like, they despise themselves for having that job. They look at themselves as losers for working that job. And they kind of have an attitude that says, I'm not gonna be a winner, I'm not gonna be a self-respecting person until I find that dream job and that dream job will be the thing that confers upon me my value. But you've gotta step back and you gotta say, okay, wait a minute. 
This job is like my first investor, okay? Mm. This job is something that I chose to do because it can be a means through which I create something else that I desire. Mike Murdoch says that a champion is someone who's willing to do what he hates in order to create what he loves, right? So this job that I'm working, even though I hate it, is a testament to the fact that I love what I'm creating so much that I'm willing to do things that are difficult that other people wouldn't even be willing to do Mm. in order to create the things that matter most to me. I would contend that it is simply not possible to find a better opportunity without respecting yourself as a badass for doing the thing that you're doing right now. Mm, yeah, and, and by the way, uh, Brianna's doing a job that is much needed. Ryan and I stay in a lot of hotels while we are are, are doing the tour stops that we've done in the past. And, and, and I'll tell you that I'm appreciative every single time I show up and there's an actual clean room for me. You know, it's we were mm. in we were in Melbourne and uh, we had like accidentally left our sign on, uh, you know, the do not disturb sign on. Right. And Mariah and I went away for the day, came back and realized like, oh, crap, like we didn't and we needed like new towels and stuff. So we called the front desk. They sent someone up. And you could tell, like, she, like, because we were in the room, like, she's in there straightening everything up. And, like, you could just tell she was, like, trying to, like, not be in our way, trying to be as, you know, least offensive or intrusive as possible. And, like, I just stopped her for a second. I'm like, I just want to let you know something. Like, this whole, this hotel is awesome. Mm -hmm. And, like, so far, we've had an amazing experience. And what you're doing right now is part of that experience. And without you, this whole thing doesn't happen. And like Josh and I, we go way out of our way to show not just, you know, the, the maid, but any anyone we come into contact with when we're having a really good experience for yeah, sure. It could, be, it could be a barista. It could be someone working at the Kinko's where you're, you're getting your copies made. If, if they're going out of their way to create a good experience, it's possible for you to be in that experience and be truly joyous. See, we've all experienced it. Someone who's working, you know, these supposedly crappy jobs because whatever, the uh, uh, because Instagram doesn't deem it to be the, the nicest job <laughs> yeah, in the world. Yeah. Um, uh, guess what? That's not real life. Real life is we, we work. Even even people who do things that are, aren't aren't considered, you know, the, the, the same type of work that we've all done at some point. You know, I've been a busboy. I've washed dishes. I've worked retail. I, I've done these, these jobs. I've shoveled snow. Those are the real jobs. And it's possible to be completely joyous within that experience. It doesn't mean you have to do it forever. And I think that's where this despair comes in mm-hmm. is people think, what I'm doing today, today and, and yesterday equals the future. No, it doesn't. Today equals today. And it's possible for you to be the best version of whatever today is, warts and all. And, and, and then figure out how do you, where do you go from here? So, so Brianna clearly doesn't want to, to, to be doing this for the rest of her life. We, sure. we, we know that. She's 23 years old. We support her in not doing this the rest of her life. <laughs> but, but instead of just running away from this, she has to also have something to run to. Is, is, is that right in your estimate? Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's a Hunger Games interpretation to what we're saying that I definitely want to make sure we're, we're avoiding, which is, you know, be happy with your lowly job while I sit here on the towers with my wealth drinking a glass of wine, right? Where, where people who live these elite privileged lifestyles speak to the people who complain as if your only problem in life is that you're not sufficiently grateful, right? Just be grateful for what you have and I will live this luxurious good life, you know, in my ivory tower or whatever it may be. I'm not saying that at all. Um, It's, it all begins with self-respect because self-respect makes you a better thinker. It makes you a better opportunist. It makes you a better creator. Um, So one step two, I, I would suggest is in the spirit of the uh, the stoic maxim, the obstacle is the way. So one of the problems, the, the obstacle she identified is that 
She works too much. She wants to find another job, but she doesn't have time, right? Um, so because she's spending two hour, too many hours at working, uh, too many hours working. So it seems on the surface as if the best move is to figure out a way to work less hours so that you can go find another job. But maybe the obstacle is the way in this sense. Maybe you can work more hours. I know that sounds crazy, but one exercise you can do is you can, you can ask yourself, how much money do I need to save in order to be able to survive three months without my job? Then, then do that exercise for two months and do that exercise for one month, okay? And then work more hours, even though you're already working a lot, for however long you need to work in order to save that amount, then you can leave that job and you've just bought yourself 30 days, 60 days, or 90 days, depending on how you execute that plan, to go find or create whatever it is you want to find and create. And at that point, you're completely free, you're not worried about your job, and you don't have the stress of how I'm gonna pay my bills in the meantime. So that's one possibility. It's not the only way, but that's one possibility. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's, let's get concrete here. So you say that, you say that, um, uh, going to find what you want to create, but it sounds to me right now like Brianna doesn't know what she wants to wants to create. She's she's I'm I'm working here. I feel stuck. I feel despair. And I think part of that despair is because I don't know where to go from here. So you know, it, it's great that that we see these successory posters that say you know follow your passion. Mm-hmm. But what the hell does that mean in concrete terms for, for someone who is 23 and lost and and she's actually thinking about maybe I should just go to college because college has all the answers. <laughs> I, I, I love your approach, TK, with, with kind of coming up with this plan because I, I know you're a Tony Robbins fan like uh, Josh and I are. And to me, like that is coming up with that plan, uh, coming up with that goal is a great way to change your state. And and I, and I think that's really what you're trying to say. Am, am I right on that? Like she needs to find a way to change her state to to look at the the, the situation she is in a little bit differently. Uh, absolutely. And I think something that's important to keep in mind about the creative process, whether that's making art or finding a new job, is that making improvements or making progress is much but much better than pursuing perfection, right? Mm-hmm. And the number one enemy of progress is the idealization of perfection, this belief that you know it's gotta be all or nothing. So here's the thing, if you are working a job that you absolutely hate, we all heard the way that she talks about her job, she doesn't like it, that's cool. We've all felt that way about different jobs. That means the bar is probably pretty low for something that you can like better than that, okay? Now if you put the pressure on yourself to go from a job I hate to my dream job, that's just gonna make this whole process a lot more stressful. You're 23 years old, you may not even know what your dream job is for, for a few more years until you way, get some more experiences. Too. I mean, right. y- your dream job at 25 is gonna be different from your dream job at 35 or 55. Mm. A- absolutely, so all you have to do is find something that you like better than that job or find something that you hate less than that job, okay? Um, so I, I worked a job that I absolutely hated and I I worked at a restaurant and I worked tons of hours, never had enough time to even think or anything like that. And I made a semi sideways step into a job that I also didn't like, but the cool thing about the job that I didn't like was that it ended at six o'clock. And that meant I could go home and I could read books, I could work on ideas, I could take walks, I could think about what I wanted to do because my workday ended. I was no longer working till two in the morning every day. And that became something that I was able to leverage into the next step. So think in terms of leverage and levels. What's a step I can make 
that gives me incremental progress. And then I can use some of the conveniences and opportunities in that step to sort of explore and experiment with the next step. Yeah. When it comes to Brianna looking at the next job, I mean, the first thing I have written down for her to do is to get clear on what her values and beliefs are. Because sometimes, yes, we know we need to leave a job. We know that we might go into a job that isn't going to be our dream job. It's going to be maybe this next step towards something better. Um, But some people don't even know how to approach that next step. Mm -hmm. And for me, it's getting clear on on what it is that that makes Brianna tick. And it could even start with stuff that she hates. I mean, is it the fact that she hates not having time to look for a different job? Maybe that's maybe step number two for Brianna is just finding a, a job that she hates just as much. But maybe it gives her the time to mm-hmm. to focus on some things uh, that that again will, will will give her that progress. What do you think, Millie? I think I think she is looking for an easy out, and I think sometimes college is that easy out because people think of it as a as a two to four to five year break, mm-hmm. right? And so that, that she, so she's not even looking at what is the next job, what is the next career path. Um, she's looking for an exit ramp. And we often mistake, I think, college and going into mm-hmm. a lifetime worth of debt. To I mean, it's it's the only thing in, in the world, I, I think, that we, we hand the keys of a mm-hmm. Lamborghini over to an 18-year-old and say, hey, good luck with this. There's no insurance on it. And, um, and then, and please don't crash, right? And then, of course... Uh, we did. We end up going somewhere like we we end up as a you know a uh, uh, dog walking major and and you figured out that like well wait a minute that I, I this was just a detour for me because someone else I mean that's why I was reading your essay earlier TK is so someone else gives you this template and everyone this is a societal template now and I'm not saying there's anything inherently wrong with college I don't know if you agree or disagree with that but but for me the uh, there's something inherently wrong with thinking there is an answer when there are multiple answers out there. And I think quite often we, we, we look at college as like, well, that's going to give me the skills I need to be better prepared for the workplace. Yeah. And I think that's not necessarily so. If Brianna wants to be a brain surgeon, then go to go. I mean, if that's what she's truly passionate about and like she has gone through and, and really discovered that yes, being a brain surgeon really aligns with her values and beliefs, then go to college, Brianna. But college, I agree with you, Josh. It is not an exit ramp. It is, uh, in a lot of cases, it could be a situation, you know, jumping out of the fryer into the frying pan, Mm -hmm. except when you add debt to that equation, it's like jumping out of the fryer into a bigger fryer, maybe. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. All right, so two things, one about curiosity, the other about college. Uh, Regarding curiosity, I think following your curiosity, or rather experimenting with your curiosity is far more important than finding your passion, mm. right? Finding your passion, that's a hell of a lot of pressure. What in the world is my passion? I now have to reduce the entirety of my life, the totality of my being to the one thing that I love more than anything else. I mean, who knows what that is, right? And if you think you know what that is, you're probably wrong, right? Um, so, you know, and, and then not only that, but if I find my passion and then I announce it to the world and I justify it and I defend it, what happens if I experiment with that for three months and now I'm bored with it, now I look like a flake, now I look like a liar. Now I look like I'm somebody that's over dramatic. That's just way too much pressure. Instead oh my of God. instead I, of trying to find your passion, just follow your curiosity. Find something that seems interesting to you now, and without pressuring yourself to have all the answers or know that this is what you're going to want to do in 30 years, just investigate your curiosity 
without a sense of loss. Investigate your curiosity with the confidence that even if you turn out not to like it, you will discover valuable things about yourself that will be transferable to future pursuits. Mm. That's the first thing. But you, I, well, no, I, 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 the thing that so. popped in my head, when we first started TheMinimalists.com almost eight years ago, I remember we, we had friends in the in the blogging space who like they would start a new blog every every 30 days and like just abandon the old one not f like following curiosity but like all of a sudden i'm I, they would just dive i'm really passionate about barefoot running this month and then i'm really uh, these really obscure things which is great if you're following your curiosity and you're like experimenting with these different things but people will get their whole identity wrapped up in this thing is i'm supposed to be passionate about paleo barefoot running on thursdays and you're like well wait a minute that's a, that that, yeah. that is so specific that that doesn't seem to me like a a passion so much as a curiosity i, I like that following the curiosity eventually allows you to cultivate passions and, and and the thing we were talking about earlier the thing you're passionate about now you might be passionate about for a decade but it, it's may not be a lifelong pursuit either and that's okay and i think the other thing to cultivate that's really important is your willingness to see something through but also your willingness to walk away if it's no longer serving a purpose in your life right you know i no longer play with gi joes because they don't serve a purpose in my life but they did at one point um and, and i think our willingness to walk away is the the sort of superpower that we're able to cultivate that allows us that, that allows us to pursue those uh, those curiosities now tdk you're getting ready to say something about about college okay man if isaac morehouse is listening to this right now he's got to be cringing because it seems like every time i open my mouth i move it away from college and <laughs> school but i'm coming back to it i promise you but i got to say something about what you just said about dreams um w w one of the things that i believe the most about pursuing your dreams is that you not only have to follow your dreams but you have to let your dreams follow you one of the most underestimated things about dreams is that the very act of pursuing something that we want is an alchemical process. It transforms us. You cannot remain the person that you are when you're visualizing a dream, when you take action steps towards its realization. So dreams transform you. And when they transform you, it's, it's important to take pauses and look back on your life and ask yourself, how have I evolved and how can I upgrade my dreams accordingly? One of the great tragedies, and we see it in a city like LA, is you have a lot of people who come to LA at 18, 19, 20 to be actors. And at 25, 26, 27, they don't have the passion for it anymore. They, they don't really love the work, but they're slaves to the dream that was uh, conceived by a former version of themselves. Mm. And, and they feel like, if I go work in an office, if I go work in corporate America, if I start a business, then I'm a sellout because I'm beholden to the dreams that I had when I was 19. I fought for these dreams, I announced them, I wrote blogs saying this is what I'm going after and I don't want this anymore. Does that make me a bad person? Forget about that. You are an evolving person. You're never going to be the same. Now that you've pursued your dream for three, four, five years, you're someone different than you were when you didn't know anything about it. So don't just follow your dreams. Let your dreams follow you. Upgrade your dreams to reflect the person you are always in the process of becoming. Um, can, can I let me yeah. interject? So, Wait, so, I want to interject too. And, and then he, make, sure, make sure we get to college. Real quick, we'll, <laughs> or we'll, we'll, get, we'll, get there, we'll get there. We'll get there. So, Sean, if you put a link to uh, a talk that, that TK ha has... Um, you're stealing my added yeah. value, man. Oh, am I? Never no, mind. no, 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 totally link it because I forget. Okay. That. Yeah, go ahead. Well, it, it, it works really well here. So, it, does, uh, it really absolutely does. Dreams don't come true, decisions do, right? Amen. It's a great I, talk. And so, uh, I think that's uh, that's a good place to, to start about um, uh, taking action as opposed to just uh, wishing for the thing to happen. What, what I love about what TK just said 
is he was saying that sometimes we find ourselves stuck. We find ourselves in, in a tornado like Brianna, like Brianna has, and it's kind of our undoing. And if we stop, sometimes, this isn't every single time, but sometimes if we stop to think about why we're in a situation we are in, we've got to look at the rules that we've created for ourselves. And some, mm. like the rule that TK was just talking about, the rule was, well, I'm not allowed to be happy unless my 18-year-old dream comes true. And at 25 years old, that hasn't come true yet. Um, is that still going to be my rule for being happy? Wow. So, so what you're saying is sometimes we set up the shittiest rules that we don't even realize we're playing by. Like, yeah. like out of bounds for us is the foul line in, in basketball. And you're like, well, wait a minute. That's not an actual rule. Like I impose that rule on myself. And, and what I'm saying is I, maybe I don't need the rules that I've created. Or maybe maybe I've just outgrown some of the rules that I've created. Yeah. And our willingness to let go of some of those rules, I think some rules are still important. Absolutely. And, and th- some of those rules aren't shitty. Some of them, are they serve a great purpose at that time in our life. Yes. They, they provided the appropriate boundaries then, but now those boundaries, as we've grown, are now inappropriate. I, mean, I think about having uh, a, a four-year-old, she'll be five this month, and... And the boundaries that we have to put up now, they're, they're, they're changing you know, since she was two, and they'll continue to change as she gets older and grows. But of course, as adults, we continue to grow, but in a different way. And so I think the boundaries that we set up for ourselves, sometimes we need to tear those, those boundaries down. Otherwise, we're, we're rotting in our self-imposed prisons. Yes, I, I want to actually, I do, I do want to talk to Brianna about some, some different ways she can change her state because I think it's really important for her to change her state. We've given her one idea about coming up with uh, a plan to to kind of give herself a safety net to exit. But before we go, before I digress on that, let's let's go back to the college. You want to talk about that yet, or you got something else you want to talk about? Yeah. So, man, uh, first of all, you 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 quoted me: "Dreams don't come true, decisions do." Let me give you guys a shout out for that because I think I've had like a hundred people follow me. Uh, because uh, y- y'all talked about that. On, on well, well, yeah, you can you, so follow TK at, on Twitter uh, at TK underscore Coleman. Well, well TK, I want to say, man, it's so funny. People all the time, they will, you know, send me emails. Hey, I'm coming out with this book. Can I give you a copy of my book? And, uh, you know, do, do you mind reading it and giving me a blurb? And usually what I'll say is, is like, no, I don't have time to, to read every single book offered to me. You know, I'm a slow reader and, and I get a lot of offers. But what I would love to do is I would love to uh, help support you by sending out a tweet or, you know, something on social media to promote the book. Here's the thing, though, man, is like we could send people your way all day long but the reason why they stick around is because of you. It's not because the minimalists blurbed you. We could blurb every single person that we know, but if they stick around and read your stuff, TK, it's, it's for you. So thank you, man, for, for doing what you do, brother. <laughs> Amen. Yeah, and we'd lose credibility uh, real quick. That. Absolutely, we would. <laughs> so thanks for keeping us credible. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Um, the dreams, uh, a, a little plug, the dreams don't come true, decisions do. That's from a talk I gave at FeeCon. You can check that talk out with the same title. Uh, on YouTube. Yeah, we'll put a link uh, to that in the show notes for too. Sure. Yeah, yeah. And 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 you know the, the basic idea there is I I like to draw an analogy analogy between dreams and decisions and um desire and love, you know. Um desire uh, that's that's the stuff you long for whereas love is what you're willing to live for, you know. Desire is what you care about. Um love is what you're committed to, right? Um and um the, the the idea here is I heard one poet say that love is is desire raised to a higher power, um, and we live in a world that that encourages us to think about what we're passionate about without also thinking about what we're willing to prioritize to to be true to our desires without being true to the honest truth 
about what we're willing to commit to when it's all when it's all laid on the line. So, for instance, uh, there's an Alan Watts video on YouTube where he talks about the idea of what would you do if money were no object. And I think that's an immensely valuable exercise because, you know, it's good to sit back and say, hey, if everything was free and there were no costs, what would I do then if I wasn't influenced by scarcity and sacrifice? And I think that's useful, but that only tells us about your desires. That only tells us about your passions. It doesn't Mm -hmm. tell us about your priorities and what you're willing to commit to. I not only want to know what you would be willing to do if there were no costs, I want to know what you'd be willing to do if it cost you everything. Mm. I, I don't want, want to know what you're willing to do if money were no object, but what are you willing to do in spite of the fact that money is an object in the world that we live in? Right. You know, and, and I think it's important for people to think about both sides of that. Mm-hmm. And this idea of dreams don't come true, decisions do, you know, is kind of getting at that notion. College. <laughs> College. <laughs> well, hold on. Uh, that's a great talk by Alan Watts. We'll make sure to find that and put a link to it in the show notes also. College. Yes. So, you know, the, the, the thing you were talking about is this notion that there is only one way. Um, this is rooted again in an idea about education that is relatively modern, which is that uh, a bunch of authority figures or political elites gather together and decide what constitutes a good citizen. And then we establish a system of compulsory education to make everybody study those things, even if those things aren't relevant to their own goals, where we take the power away from parents and we take the power away from learners and we put bureaucrats who don't even have to bear the consequences of the education. And we put them in charge of deciding what people will learn, what people will study, what it means to be smart and so forth. And so what happens is we end up with the world where we think about education in terms of right and wrong. And so we have what I consider to be these completely meaningless and arrogant debates about what kind of education young people should pursue. Um, To me, this is silly because we don't have debates about uh, whether someone should take a yoga class or a Tai Chi class. You take the (laughs) class that you wanna take based on what you're interested in. We we don't have debates about, well, should, should adults take courses in meditation or should adults take courses in piano? It doesn't matter, right? What do you want to do? Are you interested in piano? Because if you're not, then take the meditation course or something else that you're interested in. But but we do something to young people that we never allow to be done to ourselves. Mm. We treat this thing called learning as if it's about something other than what you want to create and what you need to know in order to bring that forth. Mm. So th- th- I think the idea that there is a one right way is a very dangerous idea. You know, I heard, I heard you and, and Isaac, you, you have a podcast together called Office Hours, mm-hmm. um, which you can check out wherever you get your podcasts. Um, and I, I think that you were talking about how silly it is because, well, in the same thing with, with this essay, we start bringing up these, well, I want to go for, because of the social experience. Like, mm-hmm. you can have that without taking on tuition. You can have the social, like, if that's truly the reason you're going to college is for the social experience, then just you know, move to the college town that you want to move to and have the social experiences. Audit the classes that you want to take. Can you talk a little bit about that, about, about having, if you really want the college experience, why you don't necessarily need the, the traditional college experience? Well, absolutely. I mean, there's nothing that stops anyone from moving to a college town, uh, renting an apartment, and attending college parties, 
and <laughs> attending college basketball games, attending football games, hanging Wait, you, out you with the students. You don't have to be college students to do you all these things? You don't have to be a college student to do those <laughs> things. And, and you'll probably have way more fun. You'll probably have a much better time and make more friends. You can go to the parties without <laughs> worrying about studying for the finals. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> exactly. You can even party during finals week. Oh, my um, goodness. And, and in fact... In spite of what someone is probably going to write in the comments, well, not at my university, or well, there's a, technically a rule that doesn't allow it. Let's keep it real for a second. You can pretty much go into any college lecture that you want, provided that it's not a class of only like five to 10 people where you'll stick out like a sore thumb. And you can sit in that class and you can listen to the lecture. You can mm. learn about the materials, you know, with, without even enrolling to get credit. Um, and by the so, way, you can do that online now. And, and I mean, from Yale and Harvard and a bunch of other Berlin, places, you just yeah. want to listen to some lectures, you can do that from your couch. A absolutely. And, and, and I don't think, by the way, that the social experience is the real reason. Um, in fact, here, here, here is a, a, a proposal I, I would suggest. Let's say college said, let's say all, all universities said, we're going to continue doing things as we have always done them. We'll continue hosting classes. We'll keep this campus. People will enroll, blah, 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 blah. The one thing we're going to change, however, is we don't give you a degree at the end of the experience, okay? <laughs> How many people do you think are going to continue going? The moment you take away that degree, the moment you take away the thing that says, this is what validates your experience, this is what signals to the adults in your life that you are a responsible person, that you weren't just fooling too. around. Yeah, you, yeah. You, you're willing to, to and, and by the way, I, a lot of employers are looking for that. They are looking for the, the conformity side of things, right? Like, I want you to prove to me that you can conform to. So, so the so reason I, I would dispute that, I would challenge that. I don't think employee, employers look for conformity. Well, I think it depends on who the employer is, right? And, and what the role is, right? If you're, I'm going to take a step further and say, I don't think there's a single employer who looks for conformity. Okay. So, so you're saying in Brianna's job, they're not looking for someone who's going to conform to the, the rules and regulations of what she's doing right now. I think that certainly appears to be the case, but I think there's something more fundamental that we're calling conformity because our idea of this more fundamental thing is vague. I think what employers want is a combination of social intelligence and value creation. What everybody in every relationship wants is a partner that's going to do a really good job at identifying what they need and then meeting that need. And it just so happens that if you are intellectually lazy and you just conform and play the rules, there's a decent probability that you'll do that, right? Mm. If I'm your buddy and I say to you, well, what do you want? What do you want? Just tell me what you want and I'll do it. There's a decent chance that I'll kind of make you happy in that way, but I'll probably miss out on some opportunities to be creative and make you happy in ways that you probably couldn't give me instructions for how to do. Right. So, so we call that conformity because that's our only understanding of how to create value. But what employers are looking for are people who can walk in understand what the vision is for that business, mm. what the goals are for that business, and then figure out ways to help realize that goal. I have never met and I never will meet a single employer who would get angry at a worker if that worker did the following two things. Number one, made the business more profitable as a result of their being there. And number two, did it in a way that was so classy and smooth that they actually shared the credit and made the person that they work for look good in the process. You can't do that through conformity and there is no one that would get upset at that. That's creativity, so not conformity. I, I, I think what TK is saying is that employers, they're not looking for conformity. But what I think you're saying, and I agree with you, Josh, is that there are employers who accept uh, conformity with within their employees? Well, I mean, maybe, maybe. Like, like, how many employees do we have where like they conformed? They did exactly what they were supposed to do, 
but we just always looked at him like, God, we wish you would like really take some stuff in your own hands and do things a little bit differently and think for yourself. Yeah, the, mm-hmm. the, 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 the people who really stood out were doing exactly what you were talking about. So when we managed a bunch of retail stores and, and managed salespeople and operations people or whoever it might be, it's the people like Harding worked with us. So we, we've got podcast Sean here. Um, and um, <laughs> he was one of the best employees at the uh, corporation and we stole him. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> the, the thing was like he, you know, he, he did things things that were weren't conforming but were uh, above it was value creation as you called it right mm-hmm. and 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 for us that was that was not just noteworthy but it was praiseworthy and he wasn't well he wasn't worried about taking all the credit either because he knew who was doing it he got the credit that he he deserved um, but he was also willing to go out of his way to create value for the company he wasn't conforming to the norms he met the norms right. and, and so yes corporations and, and companies and small businesses, they don't want people who are going to sabotage the company, obviously. And, and maybe that's what I meant by, by conformity is there are some norms with within which you need to stay, right? Uh, but that's that's true for driving down the street as well. You have a person right. who's who's driving down the median, that's going to be a problem for everyone, right? Um, and, and so I, I think for, for, for this exercise, what I'm talking about here, whether it's Brianna or we pan out a little bit, we're going to have people who are like, hey, my son or daughter is thinking about going to college. Um, and of course, that is the right thing. That's what you're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Why, sh- why isn't that the thing that they're supposed to do? Because the world is changing. Right. I, I and, and, and this is an undeniable fact. We do not live in the world that our parents grew up in, mm-hmm. that our grandparents grew up in. So for the sake of argument, I'm going to concede the point, even though I think the point I'm conceding is debatable. But I'm going to concede the point that 10, 20, 30 years ago, a degree was necessary to be a player in the professional world. Okay, Or at least uh, helpful. You're going to concede that it was at least helpful. Sure, sure. We'll make that concession. Uh, and and I, I think this is analogous to saying 15, 20 years ago, getting a taxi was the best way to get around if you were trying to go somewhere and you couldn't walk or bike and you didn't have access to the bus, mm. right? That, that was the way to go. 15 years ago, you didn't hear me bragging about Uber. You heard me taking the taxi, right? Mm-hmm. Because that was the option of my day 15 years ago. What Uber has done is it has taken what the taxi provides and it has reduced the costs. It's made it more convenient, more accessible, right? Um, there are all these different advantages that Uber has that taxi cabs don't have, even though we still have people that will fight for the taxi cab, right? Um, and, and Uber represents, or just ride sharing period, because I know someone's listening who yeah. has a problem with the CEO of Uber, but let's not limit the concept of ride sharing to Uber. There are many different companies that do it. (laughs) But what ride sharing does for us, or what it represents rather, is the changing world in which we live. There Mm -hmm. are new ways to get around. There are new ways to transport ourselves from one place to another. There's no reason for us not to expect that this is also true of everything else, namely education. There are new ways emerging with, with the way technology is providing us with other options there are new ways for how we can transport ourselves from one place to another. There are new ways for how we can launch our careers. And I would say in many ways, uh, Isaac Morehouse uses this metaphor, college is like taking a train 
or taking a bus. It's a very linear approach to career development. And what we're doing at Praxis, it's more like taking a rocket into space. We're not trying to move you forward. We're trying to help you transcend the existing paradigm and play the professional game at a level that college isn't even designed to teach. Okay, this is an important thing, that college doesn't even profess or claim to teach. Mm. Um, But one of the challenges is that as with any alternatives, because this is the nature of the status quo bias. When things are new, we question them. When things are familiar and old, we just kind of assume it's the way it is and it's kind of right or whatever. Um, but one of the challenges of, of doing something other than college is that you gotta pay a high social cost. Mm. Now, this is something that I know because I work with a lot of young people who choose to opt out of college. They're, they're enjoying their lives, they're living successfully, and most of them, have major challenges from families or adults in their lives who, wor- of, who worry about them and get upset with them because of this. What kind of right? objections do you see with, with the, I mean, what are the common objections that the family members see? Because I, I see it all the time. Most families want, they want the best for their kids, right? And, and so it's not that, that, um, they're they're like challenging them out of malice or like oh, I really want to stunt your growth. I think quite often they don't realize it, it is is stunting. So can we talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I'm I'm gonna make a riskier claim here. Um, you just said parents want what's best for their children. Yes, I think at a certain level that's true, but I think there is some benefit in investigating that, subjecting that to scrutiny. Mm. Um, here's something that we all know about parents: they're humans too. Right, um, parents just like young people have insecurities. Just insecurities about different things. One of the benefits of being an adult is when you get thirty or forty, you realize that we have all the same problems. It's just that the toys are different. Right? We play with different toys. We play with you know automobiles and houses and fancy titles and jobs uh, and things along those lines. I heard one person say that uh, adult problems are simply youth problems left unresolved. You know, that, that there are just youth problems and that's, <laughs> that's it, right? Um, so adults are insecure as well. Now think about when young people make what seems to be stupid decisions. Most of those stupid decisions are the result of insecurity. Yeah, at a certain level, young people want what's best, but young people often compromise what is best for them by prioritizing fitting in, prioritizing uh, you know, not making a ruckus, not standing out, not being alienated. And parents are subject to the same temptations. So um, we, can't, we can't fool ourselves into thinking that parents make decisions about their children's lives from this emotionally detached state where they experience no insecurities about what other people are gonna think of them and they're just doing economic calculations about cost and benefits for their children. Because what their children do is also a reflection on, uh, uh, of their performance as parents. Yes, and you better believe it. If your son, Billy, I know you're, you don't have a son named Billy, but if your son, Billy. <laughs> Not that uh, I know of. <laughs> if your son, Billy, says, Dad, I don't wanna go to University of Kansas. I, I, I wanna go do this apprenticeship thing or I wanna start my own business. Your, your friends, are going to talk with you and, and you'll be like, hey, how's your daughter Katie? Oh, Katie's doing good. She's starting college, you know, uh, th- you know, uh, this August and she's really excited. How's Billy doing? Oh, uh, uh, Billy's doing good. He, he's gonna be starting a business and stuff like that. Oh, okay, uh, is he not going to college? No, no, he, he's got this entrepreneurship thing uh, that, uh, you know, that he wants to do. And now here comes all the questions mm. that no other 18 year old is gonna get. Well, mm. what kind of entrepreneurship thing? But by the way, <laughs> I, I think this is so funny. Um, 
every other week I see some 18 year old on Facebook announcing that they got accepted into college. And all you see are like 50 to 100 comments of just congratulations, 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 congratulations. Nobody, nobody gets on there and says, well, are you sure that's the right college? No one gets on there and says, well, what's your major? Because, you know, uh, you, know you want to make sure that you pick the right major. No, no, no one says, well, what's your purpose for going to college? How, are, are you just going to fit in or, are you, or how are you going to use that degree? Right. No one poses those questions. We uh-huh. just sort of grant them the assumption that you're going to college. This is a good thing. However, if you take the alternative, you are going to get drilled with sophisticated philosophical questions that most 35-year-olds don't even have the answer to about their own lives. Well, what happens if you if you fail? I mean, go ask a 35-year-old that. I don't know what happens to me if I fail, right? What happens to you if you fail? Well, what, what, what if you don't like that? Well, uh, what if you can't get a job? You do know that all of these same questions are are, are real for college students too, right? But And even more real in some cases, even right? Even more real be, in some be, cases. Because, because you've just gone through four years of 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 this system or sometimes longer than four years you know because uh, the the only thing better than a bachelor's degree is a master's degree and the only thing better than a master's degree is is becoming dr milburn right Mm -hmm. like that that that's got to be better and then uh, god forbid we have a a step after that where it's like extra doctor or something that that, (laughs) and and so what happens is now you have this greater burden on you that that failure is now even uh um more egregious or, or failure is is it, the truth is what happens when you fail I am going to fail that that's the only honest answer to that is I'm going to fail and I'm going to fail a lot I hope I don't fail so much that it ruins my life but I hope I fail my way towards success because tomorrow's success is paved by a whole road of yesterday's small failures right yeah yeah but, but college is like your your Russell Westbrook it's the thing that allows you to not have to think about those tough questions because you have something that people are going to worship mm. and, and you can kind of get away with being a little less critical in other areas. So, so we're worshiping I, I, college in a way. I, I, I absolutely I so. believe that uh, contemporary views about college you know, borders on the line of religious. But I, I, I wanna say, say one more thing about the parent thing because I don't wanna paint a picture of parents as sinister. I do acknowledge that at a fundamental level, parents do want what's best for their children. But we also know that sincerity is not a substitute for truth. Having good intentions doesn't necessarily mean that you are giving good advice. But parents also have insecurities and they also have pressures. Now, Sean, there's a, a million minimal maxims here you can tweeze out and put into the show. So we do these things called minimal maxims. We'll tell you about it later. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, uh, but it's, it's I'm just good. making a note for Sean to write this shit down. It's all good. All right, so, so here's, here's one of the things we know about failure. When a person fails, people tend to look for where we went wrong, right? We, we, we look for who do we blame? What was the, the bad decision that led to this failure? What happened, right? And so one of the things that people think about when they make decisions is not just the probability of success, but what kind of answer they can give when people start asking questions, should this project go to hell, right? So, so, so that, that is a major driver in, 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 in human behavior. Now. What happens if someone goes to college and they're unhappy with their lives? By the way, we don't have to treat this like a hypothetical. Um, Stop talking to professors for two seconds. Stop listening to parents argue for college for two seconds and just go talk to human beings. Go randomly walk into a Starbucks, into a Denny's, anywhere, and you will find thousands of people that complain a lot, that are unhappy, that hate their lives, and they have college degrees. So this is a reality. But no parent feels like a failure because their son went and got a degree in English or anthropology and works at Starbucks and is unhappy with his life. 
because you can tell yourself a narrative that said, I did the best I could. I mm. did my job. You can answer all the hard questions. If someone comes to you and says, why in the world is your son unhappy with his life? You can, you can step back and say, hey, look, I raised him well. I got him into college. I sent him to a good school. You know, it's on him. If he's not going to apply himself or he's not going to push himself, that's on him. On the other hand, so, so, so it's a way to abdicate responsibility in a way where you're saying, well, I, I've done what I can do. But but for some reason, the road ends at at, you know, four years of college or whatever that that's all I can do as opposed to like I did all I can do up until age 14 or 18 or whatever that might be. We have so much faith in college as the answer that it is the case that everything prior to college is oriented around getting kids to college mm. like that 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 is mo that is the conception for most parents of what their main responsibility is i mean yes i prepare my child for life and so forth but they make a lot of decisions when children are very young that are designed to put them in a position where they can get into a good college and the and the assumption is that college will take care of the rest but i i would contend that failure isn't the thing that people are really afraid of um, because they know they can go to college and still fail. What people really fear is failing and being alone, failing and being blamed for it. Mm. And so a lot of people will choose to take l less risk and pursue dreams they don't even care about because they know that the cost is low if they fail rather than just do something they really want to do because they know if they fail at that, um, they'll be alone. So one, one quick example. Well, hold on. So is this why LeBron got all these garbage players on his team? So, yes, so, yes, yes, yes. So, so that <laughs> yes. Uh, if he wins, he can he can say he can take all the credit for it. Cleveland is somehow like it was him and four guys from down the street that I just put on the team. <laughs> yes, yes, college is LeBron. And Le LeBron is the king of lowering expectations. <laughs> but but uh, if they lose, he could be like, well, look, I drag them as far as I yeah, could, right? Yeah. I, I know like, I know you're not a LeBron yeah, fan. Yeah, like I so. scored all the points. I I, I got yeah. all these good grades. It's it's everyone else around me who it, dragged it, it me It couldn't down. be my fault. Like right. I, I have a triple-double. It, it doesn't matter that, that Kevin Love was an independently established all-star before he played with me. It couldn't be my fault that he doesn't feel part of the team. It couldn't be my fault for not use, utilizing his potential and helping him feel comfortable. You know, even though George Hill played really great before coming to Cleveland and now he seems to be mediocre, it couldn't be because all I want to do is run isolation plays where I kick the ball out to the open three-point shooter and I reduce everyone to Cal Corver. No, no, no. I have a triple-double. So that makes me immune <laughs> from criticism. I should stop because I'm probably going to offend more people people with my comments all abroad <laughs> yeah. than, than on college. I'm just thinking there are four people listening to this podcast who are going nuts over these basketball analogies. Yeah, they're really so, so we and got all a, four of them are loving it right now. Yeah, there, there, there's, about a, there's about a million people who listen to this, this uh, two, two or three million a month that listen to this podcast and and I'm thinking that maybe 17 of them appreciate the, the basketball analogy. <laughs> right. so I, I apologize and I will stop until Utah beats Houston in this series. All right. <laughs> so so l l let's say that the, the, let, let's say there's a girl that you want to date you're in love with her and your your mom disapproves your mom says stay away from sandy she's a bad girl blah blah, blah. I, I completely disapprove and you say mom i'm gonna follow my heart and so you date sandy and one day you and sandy get into an argument and you go to your mom for advice and you say mom you know sandy and i are in in, in this argument about this she sees it this way i see it that way do you think your mom's going to respond to that by saying well look Look at it from Sandy's perspective. I mean, there, there's more than, no, no, no. What she's gonna say is, I told you to stay away from that girl, mm -hmm. right? I told you to stay away from that girl. This is the cost of doing things that other people think you shouldn't do. Right. The cost is when you have struggles, people won't have any sympathy for you. Mm. I, I, I know stories, no need for me to name names, but I know stories of 
parents who've said to their children, if you opt out of college, and, and, and sometimes it's for praxis, sometimes it's, it's to start their own business and do other things, that you get no help from me, mm. okay? If, if you struggle to pay a bill or whatever it may be, you get no help from me, from me. You go to college, I'll, I'll pay. Now, it's wow. the right of the parents to do whatever they wanna do with their money, so right. I can't hate on that. At the end of the day, you're not obligated to give your money to another adult if you don't want to. Right, I'm the parents all about can also yeah. burn their money right in front of their child yeah. if they want. If that's they want to, right, right. right. Seems that, like the that, worst approach, right. though, to help someone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I mean, so, that, that that's the hard part about doing unconventional things is it, it does have a greater social cost. And if you fail, if you fall on your face, people won't sympathize with you because they will say, well, you're experiencing all the things I warned you about. Right. Right. On, on the other hand, if you go to college and you hate your life, but you followed the rules, you did what you were told, you, you followed the existing map, you can have all the struggles in the world and people will listen to you and they will accept as the explanation for your struggles that, yeah, life is hard, life is unfair, you know, let, let's see what we can do to cope with this. And those kinds of things play a huge role in not only the advice that parents give to their children, but also on the decisions that, that children make. So how do yeah. we help someone cope with that? If they got parents telling them, hey, we are here for you. We're going to help you as long as you go to college. If you do anything different than that, you've got nothing from us. So how does someone, how does someone, uh, I guess, do you have any advice on how someone could trust in themselves a little bit in, in taking that step? How can they, how can they look at life and say, you know what? I don't need my parents' help. Uh, I can, I can totally try this on my own and I'm willing to take that risk. Cause the example that you gave in that situation, it would be very hard for me to not sure. go along with college. Sure. So I, I believe the solution is radical self-honesty. I'm pretty non-dogmatic about this. I don't I don't think there's anything wrong with accepting help from your parents. I don't think not. there's anything wrong with being 25 years old and living in your mom's basement. We always make fun of that guy, right? I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, you get to decide what your priorities are in life, all right? And you have relationships with people. And if those people want to help you and you're cool with accepting that help, I don't have a problem with that. You know, I don't feel the need to hold myself as a judge over your life. So I think the solution is to be real with yourself about what you want, take ownership of your path, and don't be a victim about it. So here's what I mean. Mm. If, if you decide that what's most important to you is to have the financial assistance of your parents, I say that's cool. I will not despise you. I'm not under the impression that everybody ought to move out and support themselves when they're 18. If you've got parents that can provide for you and you want to benefit from that so that you can use it as leverage for other things, go for it. However, don't be a victim about it because what comes along with taking other people's money is playing by their rules or at least considering their opinion when it comes to how you're going to use the money, right? Like my dad used to tell me, you can't expect me to bail you out financially Every time you fail, but I get to have no opinions about the choices that you make with my money. It's just like in business. If I accept an investor's money, I have to consider some of their opinions about how to run the business. There may be limitations to that. But if, you, if you're playing a sport, you have to realize there are rules in place. And right. you can't create new rules all, all of a sudden that that, that make the, the game more advantageous for you. And the same is true in life. If, if someone else is is creating the game, so to speak, then you better be playing by their rules. Absolutely, and, and, and there are too many people out there who, who fail to acknowledge trade-offs. They make choices that, that involve priorita prioritizing something like security over passion, and then they try to turn it around and play victim with that. Mm. I, I say, no, 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 no. If you're 25 and your mom is paying your bills, you are not a victim. 
if she wants to tell you what time you should come home. I'm sorry, I know you're 25, but you're living in your mom's house, right. okay? She gets to decide what the rules are for her house. And if you want that independence, then go pay for your own. And if right. you don't want to, no problem, but don't be a victim about what you're choosing. On the other hand, if you want to have independence, then you have to understand that in every context, in every time period, freedom has never been free. Freedom is not something that another person can give you. Freedom is something that you have to take. That doesn't mean you have to be disrespectful about it. You can disagree with people without being disrespectful. I've always taken ownership of my life and followed my dreams, but that doesn't mean I gotta call you names in order to do so, right? Mm -hmm. If I disagree with my parents, that doesn't mean I have to say, well, you're stupid, Dad, I'm gonna live my life. No, I can say, you know, Pops, I see it differently, but I love you, man. You're still gonna be my best friend, and I'm never gonna let you disown me because I'm gonna be over here visiting you and calling you every day and telling that I'll, you that I love you a hundred times a day, but these are my dreams. And if I end up living a life that I regret, you don't have the magical ability to jump inside of my body and experience my regrets for me. So I got to do me, but you're still my man. And if you think I'm wrong, maybe you're correct. Just pray for me. Be patient with me as I work out my own path in the same way that you did. But I'm not going to argue with you. I love you too much. Give me a hug. You know, I'm going to be rude in the form of loving you in spite of the fact that you're trying to argue with me. So you don't have to be disrespectful in order to disagree. But if you want independence, then you've got to take ownership of your life. And you can't just say, I want to do what I want to do. But you got to be willing to take responsibility for paying the price necessary to do that. Mm -hmm. So that's how you do it. Be honest. Be honest with yourself. Um, do you want independence? Do you want the freedom to do what you want to do? And are you willing to pay the cost for that? If so, that's the only way you can be free. If not, then choose your path and be honest with yourself about it. That's now, great. Ryan, Ryan, I imagine there are some folks here who are listening to this right now um, whose parents will, will tell them, or there are a lot of parents listening to this who are saying, but to tell my kid not to go to college is irresponsible. That's the irresponsible mm. thing to do. Is that, is, is that not true? I, 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 you know, I would, I, would just, I would just challenge that and say it's irresponsible to give your kids only one option. Mm, yeah. But, but I, I, what, what, do you, what do you think, TK? It is absolutely irresponsible to give your kids only one option because <laughs> that, that doesn't prepare them for reality. That's mm. not true with anything, okay? Mm. Uh, we shouldn't pretend that it magically becomes true just because we're talking about the religion of college. Um, <laughs> secondly, it needs to be made clear that there is nothing cool or creative or praiseworthy about not choosing the status quo, okay? Um, there are a lot of ways you can waste away your potential and live stupidly even if you opt out of college, right? right? So you can opt out of college uh, and just sit around and watch SpongeBob reruns all day. That doesn't mean you're cool, right? Yeah. Um, so it's always a compare to what sort of question. So I, I, I'm, I'm not of the belief that it's automatically some good praiseworthy thing if you choose not to do college. There, there are too many people that give themselves free passes for being cool just because I don't do what my boring dad does. Yeah, yeah. but you don't do anything at all, right? <laughs> like at least your dad does something. So that's, that, that's the second thing. The, the third thing is I, I, I would say if as a parent, you genuinely believe it would be irresponsible of you to do college. Here's a soft suggestion I can make. I can say, all right, let's assume that college is the right thing. Let's assume that it's necessary. Instead of sending your child straight from high school to college, after living 17, 18 years of you making most of the major decisions for them, them never providing for themselves or any of that, if you're gonna finance their college career or whatever, make a deal with them and say, for one year, before you go to school, because I don't want you to go there and experiment and fool around and use college as a 
um, as a highly expensive uh, party, right? Let's take a year and I want you to get a part-time job so you can have some responsibility so that you know what it's like to work for somebody else so that you know what it's like to experience some of those challenges. I want you to pick one or two places that you wanna visit. I want you to see the world and, and experience something other than your neighborhood, okay? Um, and then we'll sit down and we'll talk at the end of that, let's say six to 12 month period about what you wanna do, what I, what I want you to do, and we'll go from there. And even if your child goes to college after a year of that, they will get more value out of their college experience because they will have the kind of self-knowledge that can only come from engaging the marketplace and having some real responsibilities and seeing the world. And once they go inside that little bubble, the bubble that's not reflected by anything in the real world, that is a college campus, they will be able to navigate that bubble with a greater deal of intelligence and nuance. And they'll get more out of their classes because you learn more about the ideas you study when you have real world experience to weigh it against. You, you that's a soft compromise. Ask. Yeah, yeah you, you, you learn how to ask better questions too. And I think that's that's the the real learning experience, not being regurgitated to or or yeah. fault just following the, the syllabus. The syllabus can be great. It's a plan, just like taking a year off is sort of creating your own syllabus for a, a, a life of, you know, of anti-status quo, even, even if you do decide that, hey, maybe that traditional path is the right path for me because I want to be a brain surgeon, right? And yep. in order to be a brain surgeon, I have to go to college unless you're in uh, Cuba. Yeah, perhaps. I would never let... Uh, I would let I would never let anyone touch my brain who has not been to school to learn how to touch my brain. <laughs> <laughs> on, on an episode of Office Hours, Isaac and I had a question once where someone wanted to know what they should do because th their, their child really w didn't want to go to college and they really wanted them to go. And one of the things I suggested, and this is something that's useful for parents, is to treat your money like you're an investor. And if your child doesn't want to go to college, say, okay, pitch me. I get to do what I want to do with my money. If you want my money and you want my support, sell me on it. I mm. want you to take some time, think about <laughs> why you want to do what you want to do and give a presentation to your mother and I, your father and I, showing us how you plan on using the next six to 12 months, why you think that will benefit you and we'll see if, see if we're convinced. This is a, a pretty easy compromise that actually puts pressure on the child. They now can't use you as an excuse for not having the guts to do what they want to do, right? right? They now can't say, oh, mom, dad, you're not supporting me because I want to do this and you're getting mad. Now they actually have to think critically about what they want to do and how they're going to use it. And you, you get to give them fair treatment. So I think that's a, a soft compromise, by the way. I think you should do that for your kids who want to go to college. No, that's too. great, man. It's, it's like a mini episode of Shark Tank. <laughs> I'd love to flip that too. What what yeah. if because it can it can strengthen the parents' argument? What if the parents also had to give a proposal to the kid? Like here are the three options. Here's why college is the best option for you. And that and would be great. I, I think I think that you talk about being a responsible parent, saying here are the options and here are the pros and the cons to these three options. I'm not just giving you one option. By the way, the fourth option is pick your own option. You yeah. tell me yeah. what is the best idea the, of the route you want to take. Yeah, the ultimatum of uh, you go to school. Or you don't get my help. Like that is that's that's terrible. That is a terrible approach. I do want to talk. I do want to talk about uh, Brianna changing her state. Okay. So how is Brianna gonna like stop this tornado? We've talked about school and about how she should you know maybe look at school a little bit differently and her approach to college. But 
you know, college to me sounds like, uh, like you said, it's this exit ramp for her. Mm-hmm. So what else besides college, how else can she change her state? Do you think, man, I think, uh, the, the, the first thing I thought of was it was, you know, getting clear on what her values and beliefs are just so she can kind of get a good compass on where she's going to go. But the second thing is, and this is to anyone who is finding themselves in this trouble is, dude, I, I don't, I don't, I don't think you are a fan of these, but like, I love aptitude tests mm. and not just one aptitude test. I would love to sit here and say, oh, well, you know what, Sean, we're going to uh, put a link to the perfect aptitude test in the show notes. That's not how it works. Mm. There are, there are so many online. You can just search for uh, aptitude tests and take different, different tests just to kind of give, give Brianna specifically an idea of what she wants to run towards. What do you think about aptitude tests, man? Are they, are they completely uh, insane or you think like they're, they're a useful tool? I don't think they're completely insane. I think they're a useful tool so long as they are used in conjunction with engaging reality. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not the biggest fan of using surveys, personality tests, and all these sorts of things as a way of knowing who I am prior to or independent of mm-hmm. getting out there and experimenting re- with reality in a courageous and playful way. Uh, at the end of the day, you can't know there until you go there, right? Um mm-hmm. You can you can rack your brain. You can you can do a bunch of exercise, and you can say, "Well, maybe I need to do this. Maybe this is where I fit." But at the end of the day, you got to give it a try. Yeah. Um. And and I think we've attached so much drama to the decisions people make that we put all sorts of pressure on ourselves to come up with some knockdown argument that we're going to like what we choose to do before we choose to do it. Take that pressure off. You don't know if you're going to like it. You don't even need to like it. All you need to do is pursue an experience that gives you a little bit more leverage and that gives you the opportunity for self-discovery. That's all you need. Absolutely. I'll tell you one way I did that, man, and this is the next thing I have on the list, is once Brianna has some ideas of, okay, maybe this is, maybe I do want to be a brain surgeon. Great. Let's go with the brain surgeon thing. Uh, should she go to school and just start schooling, uh, 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 taking classes for being a brain surgeon? Like, I certainly wouldn't recommend that. What I did when I was in the corporate world, anything that I found appealing, any profession I found that maybe I wanted to jump to, I would seek people out who were in that profession. Like one example is uh, there is a, uh, a a gentleman who runs the Better Business Bureau. He's the CEO of the Better Business Bureau in Dayton, and yeah, I reached out to him. I, I you know kind of had some some interactions with him a little bit here and there with networking events, but I sent him an email like, "Hey man, I really think that I would like." to be a CEO of a nonprofit organization. Mm. Better Business Bureau at the time seemed like a, a you know maybe it would be a good fit for me. So I sent him an email asking to take him out to lunch and just kind of talk about what it was like being uh, the CEO of the Better Business Bureau. Mm. Um, I found out uh, found out pretty quickly I don't want to be the, the CEO yeah, of the Better yeah, Business yeah, yeah. Bureau. But through that interaction, it saved me so much, um, I guess, headache as if I mm. were to just all right, I'm going to, you know what? I, that's a cool position. I'm going to leave my job now and I'm going to start pursuing that. Um, I mean, imagine the headache I would have caused myself when I eventually got to the point where I'm like, oh yeah, I don't want to do this. So with yeah, Brianna, like eight year commitment to figuring out if you like something that's expensive, man. Yeah, no you doubt. Figured man. out in half an hour. Exactly. Yeah. So, so Brianna, I mean, that's, that's another way she can change her state too. Cause right now she is yeah. stuck, man. She is in a tornado. And for me, the only way to get out of this uh, to get out of a tornado, the tornado that I was stuck in, it was to change my state radically. I mean, that's why I had uh, a packing party where I packed everything up and unpacked things as I needed it just to really, um, again, like just help me to change my state. Another way that uh, Brianna can definitely help herself out is, dude, she's got to avoid hanging out with people who don't support her. Like, I don't know what her, I don't know what her associations like, but I'll tell you, like, if she does, if she isn't 
associating with people who are encouraging her to explore other opportunities, people who are not encouraging her to leave her job, people who are not there for her to build her up. Mm. Um, she's got, she's got to be able to change that. That is to me, like one of the biggest things, uh, anyone who, who is experiencing a, a crazy lifestyle or a crazy tornado. I think, and I think yeah. support doesn't mean just like placating. Either, no, it's right? not just saying it, yes it, all the time. It means challenging as well, mm. but challenging in a way that is building them up as, as opposed to tearing them down. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, she's got to avoid, uh, any, here's the thing, man. When I was in a tornado, I had developed all these bad habits that helped pacify myself. Mm. While I was in this, I would come home and I would, uh, I would do my drugs or I would sit there and drink a six pack or I'd do both. And it was like this really, really easy way for me to unwind, to like go from this world that I hated to get to this world where I felt like, okay, like I don't, I don't hate living so much. Mm. And, uh, bad habits were, um, Oh man, it just it kind of kept me stuck. It kept that tornado going. Yeah. It sounds to me like what you're saying is remove the pacifiers because uh, uh, one of the things that you can you can be appreciative of where you're at. And TK saying Brianna needs to be appreciative of this, but also you don't necessarily need to be contented by it. And I would say that you mm-hmm. don't want to be fully contented by it. And clearly, she's not. Mm-hmm. But but uh, you, you don't want to be just comfortable enough that you're not willing to make a change to whatever the next best thing is. Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think the biggest thing um, for Brianna here is she she has to come up with with a plan, and whether that is reaching out to people and professions that uh, she she is interested in, or taking aptitude tests, or coming up with a plan to save money uh, so she can have a nice exit plan and have a safety net. Uh, I think for Brianna here, or anyone else who's in this ex- is experiencing something like this, you've got to come up with a plan. But what's the most important part of a plan? It's taking the action, mm. taking massive action towards uh, uh, bringing that plan to fruition. So, Brianna, you've got to find a way to change your state and you've got to find a way to take massive action. I know I'm totally ripping both those things off from Tony Robbins. but uh, Still <laughs> but like it, an artist, man. Yeah, man, absolutely, absolutely. You know, I, I would say, too, um, there is nothing quite like freeing up your creative energy from the, from the pressing urgencies and emergencies that that make it seem like it's impossible to make a positive shift. And I, I know this might sound like very unromantic, unsexy, unglamorous advice, but even if you can make a sideways step into a different hotel, mm-hmm. right? Like I, I heard a comment in there about management, so I'm not exactly sure what the issue is, but just because you work in a hotel doesn't mean you work at a hotel that's the easiest and most enjoyable place to work at, mm-hmm. okay? And just because you go to a different hotel doesn't mean you're committing to working in hotels for the rest of your life. But if you already have experience and connections in that industry, it could be the path of least resistance to go to a different hotel, mm-hmm. that's an option for you, and perhaps work in an environment that's less stressful. And just by being in an environment that's less stressful, you might free up some energy to think about what else you want to do and you can have a little bit more time to approach that process patiently. So to to talk about Tony Robbins, one of the things he says is most self-help and motivational speakers start with changing your thoughts, right? They start with like adjust your attitude and think more positively and constructively, but he starts with the body and the environment because if you make changes in your physiology and you make changes in your environment, that can more readily facilitate the mental changes as well. So I think one of the easiest ways to you know, create a different mental state is to find a sideways step you can make that puts you in a different environment where you got different influences and demands. That sounds like 
such a I don't want to say an easy approach, but a, a manageable approach. Meaning, mm-hmm. uh, Brianna could pick one thing. Maybe it's her time. Maybe because she mentioned that she doesn't have time to look for another job. So maybe she just starts there and says, I need to take a sideways step just so I can have more time to think about what the hell I want to move to next. Mm-hmm. To take those aptitudes. Yeah, tests. absolutely. <laughs> right. Take time. Yeah, exactly. So no, I love that, man. Because um, often, like you said earlier, we we kind of uh, get this idea of what perfect is and, and how we need to obtain perfect. And if that's our goal, um, it's it's going to be very, it's, it's going to be very hard to go from uh, like in Brianna's situation, she's in the tornado. It's not perfect. She hates where she's at. Uh, when she leaves this role, it's she's not stepping into this next perfect situation. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, Brianna, I'd love to send you a copy of our book, Everything That Remains. Uh, it was Ryan's and my story about walking away from careers that we hated. We didn't just like quit our jobs and start a blog and everything worked out great. There was a lot of pain and heartache and there was certainly a valley there. That And, and there were a lot of small changes and iterations that we had to make in our own lives and, and especially in changing our habits. And I think you'll particularly find valuable the eighth chapter, which is about changing some of those habits. So it's called Everything That Remains. It's my favorite thing that we've ever written of our, our three books. Actually, it's my favorite thing we've ever created. Sean, if you could reach out to her, send her the the audio book, or if you want the book book or ebook, we'd be happy to send you those as well. Our next question is from Daniel in Pennsylvania. I'm a army vet who went through a one-year divorce that led me down a dark path of drinking and overeating and online shopping, almost getting a high like like feeling when when I went to bid on eBay. Before I knew it, I had a room full of all this stuff with no purpose. That was a huge point in my life, and after a few months of decluttering and eating healthy, I finally feel like I got my life back in order. However, I'm about to start college in my GI Bill, so I was wondering if there was any tips or tricks about organize, organizing myself in college and uh, just, you know, college in general. Just any, any, any help from you guys would be great. So someone has chose to go to college. Yeah, so I, th- I think... Um I think chosen is the past participle of choose. I love how you guys are. You guys are saying, <laughs> you guys are like, "TK, we're going to accept the premise that he's already going to he's college." He's already accepted college. Well, well, here's so. So actually, the the first thing that I thought when I when I heard this is, uh, "Congratulations, you found your valley." Um, that, that I wrote that down here because I yeah, there we all have these inciting incidents. Uh, and for Daniel, it was like. Uh, getting out of the army and then having this this one year drawn out divorce but then after that it produced you know the, what was the aftermath of this crash it was drinking it was uh not reading i actually like that he he could tell you not reading is not something people would usually list as part of their valley right yeah, yeah. Like, like for me that that i i was just impressed you're like uh my life was shitty because i wasn't reading as much I as i that. wanted to like that shows me actually some of your priorities are, are in a really good place here and you talked about getting the ebay high the online shopping and and yeah it's true that that you do get this dopamine rush but that high does not last far past the checkout line, right? And and, and uh, we all, Ryan and I aren't against consumption. We all need to have some stuff. We're all wearing clothes right now, except for Ryan. He's just wearing a loincloth as we're recording <laughs> this. It was very awkward. I'm a real minimalist. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and you've got this uh, uh, 
this desire to continue to consume though because we feel this this oh that felt good let me and we're chasing the dragon right it's it's the same thing you do with drinking you do it with shopping it's a different type of of consumption and uh gi bill that's free money for college um and so he has some free money here to play with but everything that's free isn't necessarily free right because Mm -hmm. we have to consider our other resources you're giving up your time your attention you're giving up a portion of your life to to go to this and so yes first thing i'll say is go back and listen to the the last question we talked a lot about college there but how do we uh uh, how do we accept the premise that he's decided to to go to college and um how does he make this a meaningful college experience yeah so i mean that that could be uh how does he make a meaningful college experience while he's there um how can he go go about picking the right major um I, I mean, do we need to talk about his approach to going to college at all, or are we maybe, ex- maybe maybe we say okay, well, it, it, this would be useful for people who are already in college because uh, just because you're there doesn't mean you have to stay either. Sure, I mean, th- that's the other thing to think about. We we have these sunk costs of well, I've already put in two years, right? Mm-hmm. I've already put in, I already have uh, twenty credit hours and forty thousand dollars worth of debt, right? So of course I need to get another. $120,000 worth of debt and of course I need to get finish this out because I need that piece of paper and and the question is is that true right and and I don't know I I, I mean if, if Daniel were here in the room I would have some more questions for him yeah yeah no I totally agree because even though yeah he does have this opportunity to go to college for free the question is what is he going to do with that piece of paper once he has it because if it's if it's a liberal, a liberal arts degree, um, you know, there are only so many things you can do with that. Right. Or that, th- that, that degree is going to be, uh, specifically geared towards, um, how, how does he choose, how does he choose what major he's going to go into? Cause I think that's the first step, right? Like he's decided, I got this free money. I'm going to go to college. Right. But if I, what if I said, I, I, I here, Ryan, here's 30,000, I'm giving you $30,000 to go to clown school for the next 12 months. Mm-hmm. I mean, I probably would go because I think clowning is cool, but <laughs> but I understand what you're saying. <laughs> no, I, I I understand exactly what you're saying, man. Like if it, if you gave me thirty thousand dollars to be in it, here, here's thirty thousand uh, dollars. You can get your associates in accounting. Like, yeah, I would not take that for free just because you gave it to me. Right, because that's not something that is is going to necessarily. How does the GI help Bill you? work? So the, is 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 he pigeonholed? Is Daniel pigeonholed into going to college with this GI Bill? Well, no, you, you can't force someone to go to college. But, well, I, but I mean, is that is this is this the government playing? They mom? just won't sympathize with them if he ever. <laughs> right. <laughs> so is this is this mom or dad who's looking at Daniel and saying, "We'll help you as long as you go to college." I mean, is that kind of the? I, I don't. I don't. I, I guess I'm a little ignorant on how the whole GI Bill thing. Yeah, works. yeah. So it's it's uh, he's an army vet and and uh, part f- to sort of. Uh, as compensation, par- partial compensation for a service, they will give you money toward college. The same way that our, the corporation that we work for gave you a certain okay. amount of money to go to college. Yeah. It, you know, it's funny. I actually I started going to college because the corporation Josh and I worked at, they get, they paid for it. And I was like, I'd be stupid not to go to school. And when I find myself, what I found myself doing was working 60, 70, sometimes 80 hours a week and going to school. And it was it was not a sustainable uh, uh, schedule. Um, and when it was over, I was so happy. But, but you know, to your point, I don't do shit with that degree now. Yeah. And I, and I did it just because... You're supposed to. And, well, yeah, and it was paid for. Well, and you were encouraged to, right? 
So, I mean, I think sometimes you know, TK is nodding his head here like, yeah, everyone encourages people to go to college. <laughs> and it, 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 in fact, the, the myth is much more powerful than that. A really powerful myth is one that you don't even have to teach. The, the curriculum is invisible. It's built into the, the very expectations, the very structures of our society. It's the default. It's not even questioned. It's not even thought about. It's not even looked at as a decision. It's just what you do. So people aren't encouraged to go to college. They know by the time they're 12 that that is what they're going to do because that is how life is oriented for them. So it's more powerful than just being told that's what they ought to do. Yeah. So what do we do for Daniel here? He, he's an army vet. He has found his valley. Now I say valley, there are other valleys out there and there are deeper valleys. You know, you could be on heroin. You, 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 you can, you, it, it can always just, be worse. You could be dead. Yeah. But hopefully this is, this is sort of the nadir for you. And, and now, now the question is, what is the appropriate peak for you? Maybe it's college and college, by the way, the college experience is certainly better than the sitting at home, drinking online shopping and not reading. We can, we can agree that just because there's one peak over here doesn't mean it's the, the highest peak sure. on, on the landscape. So what is the appropriate peak for, for Daniel here? And what questions would, would you be asking him right now if you were in the room? Mm-hmm. So first, for those who are listening that might be considering going to college or for those who uh, are considering the sunk cost that you referenced uh, a minute ago, it's important to make the distinction between transaction costs and opportunity costs, right? Transaction costs refers to what we might call price tag costs, right? Uh, what our receipts indicate after we're done with the experience the amount of uh, money I spend on gas, the, the price of the movie ticket and the popcorn and the candy that I buy. Um, but that's just one kind of cost. But since it's the most visible, the most obvious, that's the one we pay attention to. And typically when we say something is free, we mean there is an absence of transaction costs or, or rather, more accurately, I'm not the one that's paying the transaction costs. Mm-hmm. But there's also opportunity costs. And opportunity costs refers to the value of the best alternative that you have to forego in order to do what you wanna do. So if I say, hey, you guys want to come to the movies with me this Saturday night? I'm paying. That means, and I'm picking you up. No transaction cost for you guys. However, there is an opportunity cost. You've got to give up whatever you were going to do or could have been doing with that Saturday night. Now, obviously, going to the movies with me, that's as good as it gets, right? <laughs> but, but, but the question you have to ask yourself is, what are my opportunity costs? Nothing is free. If you're going to give up one, two, three, four years of your life, you've got to ask yourself, not just is it free, financially, but is this the best thing that I could be doing with my time? Is this the most leverage that I can gain for my time? And that leads us to a more fundamental question because ultimately I believe how you create a meaningful experience, the fundamentals are the same. Doesn't matter if it's college, attending a party, going on a date. The way you create a meaningful experience begins with a single question and that is, why am I here? Why am I doing this, Mm -hmm. right? You don't go to a gym to get in shape in general. Why do you want to get in shape? Why are you going to the gym? What do you want to get? You know, um, and, and that's the question I would start with. And that's more fundamental than what I should major in, you know, or how many credits I should take. Why are you going to college? And you can't let your answer be because someone else is paying for it. That's not a good reason to do anything. The, uh, the, the last thing I'll say on this is whatever you do, if you're going to go to college, please, please, please don't let I went to college and I got my degree in ABC XYZ be the most interesting thing about you. Because if it is, you're gone. You're mm-hmm. gone. That that has to be less interesting than how you are using the knowledge and experience you gain along the way. Um, I said that was the last thing, but I lied. Here's the last thing. <laughs> 
abandon the permission-based mindset, abandon the preparation mindset that says, life works in the following fashion. I spend a bunch of time preparing myself for the real world, and then once I'm sufficiently prepared, I get a degree or I take enough classes, then I'll go out there and I'll create value. No, you learn how to create value by creating value. Learning, according to Chalmers Brothers, is the process of doing what you don't know how to do while you don't know how to do it. Not after you learn how to do it. It's doing what you don't know how to do at the same time as not knowing how to do it. That's how you learn to raise a child. That's how you learn to build a business. That's how you learn everything that you learn in life. And so if you're going to go to college, once you've identified your why, what is the thing you want to create? What's the lifestyle you want to develop? Start investing in that right now in terms of creative action, whether that's starting a podcast, starting a blog, starting a small side business. Doesn't matter if you fail. What matters is that you're starting, that you're experimenting, that you're putting yourself out there. I totally agree. man. I think the best takeaway for me from, from those three points, man, are it, it's the one about if you're going to college just because it's paid for that's the worst reason to go to college. Yeah. So, so Daniel, if that's the reason why you're going to college, I'm not saying that you shouldn't, but, but ask that question. Why are you at college? There has to be more than just, well, I'm getting it paid for. Yeah. So I'm here and you can factor that and I'm in. going through the motions. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that if, if that's one, it should be one of the factors. Like what does this thing cost? But sure. then what are the other costs? You know, we're talking about the opportunity cost, the price tag, the transactional cost isn't the only cost. We always talk about that with our material possessions. Like there's the cost of storing the thing, the space, the thing takes up cleaning the thing, worrying about the thing, taking care of the thing, watering the thing whatever it is there are all these other costs and it's way beyond oh yeah but the government's going to pay for it i'd be dumb not to do it we got to go beyond that so so tk what do you when you work with people who are in, in daniel's situation and you just talked about some of the creative endeavors uh to to embark on what what are some of the real world practical applications there that, that someone can do you know because to me i always say creating is is creating is far more important far more valuable far more meaningful than than consuming but and creating can be anything it can be beginning to write that book you wanted to write um creating can be you know singing a song it can be it can be this whole number of things but what is something that's going to be that's going to put daniel down a, a meaningful path now what are some steps that he can take so start with identifying something that you're curious about secondly identify some problems you can solve for real people by exploiting that curiosity. And three, find some real people and pitch them on the opportunity to solve their problems. Or without even asking for permission, figure out a way to try to solve their problem and instead of saying, can I do this, say, hey, here's something that I did. So for instance, uh, I have a participant who is interested in photography, right? Um, and, and initially started out saying, I wanna study this, I wanna learn this. And the approach was, I'm gonna take a bunch of classes and I'm gonna get good at this. And I said, how about you start with people who don't have nice photos? Okay, there are plenty of real human beings out there, many of whom you know, mm -hmm. who don't have a good looking headshot. Yeah. Go look and at their Twitter profile. Go look at their Twitter <laughs> profile and go up to them and say, hey, I'm trying to get some experience. I'm trying to experiment with different ways of taking pictures. I'm trying to build my portfolio. Um, what do you think if I took family photos of you? Or what do you think if I you know, uh, took headshots? And my initial suggestion was come up with like a cheap price that you wouldn't be mad at mad about you know uh asking for you know maybe like 25 bucks 50 bucks something like that and if they say no be willing to do it for free anyway because at the end of the day you're getting the experience you don't have like the alternative and and that was a completely different 
mindset from I'm going to buckle down and for two years I'm going to study photography. Like, no, start right now with whatever skill you have, even if that means you're going to make mistakes and solve problems with that skill or yeah. solve problems with that interest for real people. You can always do that at every stage. Um, what you're talking yeah. about right now is entrepreneurship, entrepreneurship and, and uh, I'm thinking of this uh, essay I printed off from, from Seth Godin here. It's a really short one. Uh, entrepreneur, entrepreneurship is not a job. And, and here's what he said. He said, you don't apply, you don't get a salary, no one picks you. So so think about this. Mm. It, it, the, the person you're talking about who wanted to be the photographer, they didn't wait. Well, I'm just going to wait around until someone picks me I'll, I'll go study and then i'll put up a website and hopefully someone will come pick me no no no, no. an entrepreneur you, you don't apply you don't get a salary no one picks you bragging about how much money you've raised or what your valuation is is a form of job thinking entrepreneurship is a chance to trade a solution to someone who has a problem that needs solving solve more problems solve bigger problems solve problems more widely and you are an entrepreneur it's tempting to to industrialize this work to make it something with rules and bosses and processes but that's not the heart of an entrepreneur the work is to solve problems in a way that you're proud of and i think that last part is is also important so we're talking about what you're proud of well yeah the question that ryan asked before and we always ask is what are your values identifying what your values are because that's going to be something that that you're proud of you can go back and listen to episode i think it was 69 our values episode and, and we identify these different types of values your, your foundational values versus your core values versus minor values versus imaginary values we we, that, that's the big one we all get stuck on, right? Like a title, a job title is an imaginary value, right? And, and identifying what your values are, because if you know what your values are, then you can start solving problems in a way that aligns with your values and helps other people. And that's the way that you're going to create a business. It's where you're going to create a meaningful life. That's the way that you're going. And, and by the way, it doesn't mean you're creating your own business. If you're working for someone else, what are you doing? You're helping that company, that other person, the small business, whoever it may be, you're helping them solve problems as well. Yeah. yeah. You, can, you can reverse engineer your understanding of what your values are too by simply observing your behavior and working backwards to identify what, what underlies your tendency to do certain things even when you aren't being incentivized by money. What what are the things you're always consistent at? What are the things you never flake on? You know, um, uh, economists call this revealed preference versus stated preference. Uh, there's a huge gap between those two things because uh, for starters, our stated preference don't have any cost. We can say what we desire, what we love, what we value for free. There's no risk associated with mm. it. Ryan, um, I call those lip service priorities. Yeah, <laughs> like lip service say, priorities. Like, like, yeah, my health is my priority. I haven't been to the gym in four months and I eat like crap or my relationships are priority, but I'm working 80 hours a week and I forsake my wife and my parents and, and the people closest to me. Yeah. Uh, uh, or I say creativity. For me, it was always writing was my priority. Right? I'm really, yeah. really passionate about writing, but I was just an aspiring writer I aspired every damn day of my life but didn't put any words on paper yeah. until I got serious about making it a true priority a absolutely and, and and your behavior showcases your revealed preferences what do you actually do once we introduce scarcity and sacrifice back into the equation that tells me something significant about you and here's the crazy thing so you you, you take the example of the person you mentioned who uh, you know says I love family but they work 80 hours a week right um, I don't think the solution to that is necessarily to say, hey, quit, quit, quit being a hypocrite and work for 40 hours a week and go spend more time with your family. No, 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 no. 
It's to say, hey man, maybe we should take a look at the fact that you spend 80 hours a week working and own the fact that that's what's most important to you. Because as long as you're lying to yourself about how much you love work, as long as you're feeling guilty about the fact that you enjoy being at your job more than you enjoy being around your family, you're going to go about this in the least productive way. Isn't but if that you- interesting? Because we, we demonize working in a, in a way, like uh, because we, but we don't demonize the other things. We're, we're, you never have a guy where you're like, you know what, you're just spending too much time with your family. <laughs> uh, it's like it's, a, it's it's not something that, and I think the same is true with college, right? We we don't tell someone like, you know what, you are just spending too much time at college as a nineteen year old, and you'd be mm-hmm. better served doing X Y Z. Like it's taboo to say that. Mm-hmm. The truth is to uh, let's just step back and be honest about what the circumstances are, what you, the 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 behaviors, the revealed preferences are in our own lives. Yeah, and, and, and when you're honest with that, it, it actually paves the way for you to find a way to pursue it that's more consistent, that's more congruent, that's more compatible with your other interests. You, you are never better off by lying to yourself because lying to yourself divorces you from reality and it makes you an inferior critical thinker. But when you tell yourself the truth, even if that truth seems politically incorrect at first, even if it seems shameful at first, you now have the advantage, you now can pursue it in a way that's characterized by self-ownership. And everything is better that way. You know, every family is different. Every lifestyle is different. You know, every spouse doesn't get annoyed and angry when they have someone in their lives who works really hard. There are ways to do this. There is no one way to be married, no one way to, to, to approach your work life. Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right, so let's say, so Daniel has committed to going to school. What, and I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on this, TK. So how, how does someone create a meaningful college experience? Um, what, what, what do you think of when you think about that? Because I know you're like, it's not that you're against college, but uh, you do talk a lot about alternatives to college. But, but if someone does want to go to college, how do they make this a meaningful experience? So what I am against is being on autopilot with your life. Mm. What I am against is doing anything in a dogmatic way that, that, that omits the importance of thinking critically, clearly, and creatively about what it is you want. You have to start with the results you want to create. Right. And if you're not starting with that, then you're you're pursuing a purposeless aim. You're driven by maybe fitting in or, or doing what's comfortable. So I would say don't hide behind college. Don't use college as a place to hide. Mm. And it's 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 not some unfair attack on college to point out the reality that many young people do exactly this precisely because college is about the only thing you can do where you can go disappear for four years not do not be productive you can party you can clown around you can be average like literally according to college's definition of average you can just like get c's and float by i've done these things okay many of us have done these things and if we're not debating we'll admit that we've done these things okay you can go to college you can get c's you can just hang out you can be mediocre but because you're in the right place during doing the right things you'll get praise it's russell westbrook again right so (laughs) don't hide behind that don't use college as a place to buy yourself time Mm. don't go because it's like putting life on pause for four years if you're going to go if you're going to go anywhere or do anything go with a deliberate aim in mind and don't give yourself permission to take a single action step in that direction until you can answer the question why am i doing this yeah and i think i think if you are deciding that college is the right route for me for whatever reason then the reason 
that you should go to college if you're already going is you're going to get something out of it, right? And so uh, whether you're you're just showing up to a lecture to attend the lecture and you're not going to the college and just showing up, you want to get something out of that because you're being forced to go to a lecture quite often. We're just like, well, I'm being forced to, to uh, attendance is, is enough, but no attendance isn't enough. Mm-hmm. If you're just attending for four years, you're, you're not getting what you could out of this experience. Right. And I, I agree. It's not about the social experience. It, it's about what, what am I going to learn? What skills am I going to develop while I am here? Now we, we can go and look at the stats and, and realize that not a lot of skills are necessarily acquired during this four-year experience, but they could be. They could be. So I'll give a second thing because I was a little bit more abstract with my prior answer, but something that's practical, and we reinforce this a lot at Praxis, is that learning doesn't count if you're not combining it with some form of creative action, right? So one of the most important principles you can learn about learning is the value of learning out loud, Right, documenting your journey of going from I don't know what the hell I'm doing to I am now a master of this mm. particular thing. Uh, what, what, what a lot of people miss out on is the opportunity for professional branding and, 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 and professional skill and, and, and professional opportunity uh, that would come from advertising in a non-obnoxious way the things they're studying. So what most people do, for instance, at a job interview, someone says, uh, hey, um, what's a positive quality about you? And a person says, well, I'm a fast learner. And then uh, the interviewer says, well, give me an example of that. And what do people do? They tell you something that they know, right? They tell you something that they've already mastered. But that isn't, but telling me what you know doesn't tell me anything about what you look like and act like while you are in the process of learning, Mm -hmm. okay? And the most valuable thing for people that have to work with you is knowing what you're like when you don't know what you're doing and you're in the process of figuring it out. But most people never showcase that because they hide what they're doing from the world until they feel confident that they know what they're doing, yeah. right? And so one of the best things you can do is if you're educating yourself, you're taking a class, is to learn out loud, write a blog post that says, hey, I'm TK Coleman, I know nothing about astrophysics, but I watched this Neil deGrasse Tyson video on YouTube the other day and it really sparked some curiosity. So I never paid attention to physics class in high school, but I'm gonna start teaching myself the basics. So I ordered this second grade physics book from Amazon and this is what I'm gonna learn. Every single week, I'm gonna teach myself a couple of new concepts and I'll document it here on the blog. At the end of three years, when I'm able to talk intelligently or semi-intelligently about physics, I'll have way more respect way more notoriety, way more opportunity than the person that hid themselves in a basement while they became the physics master and then they rear their head once they think they know what they're talking about and uh, they find out that no one really cares about you, man. Like, where have you been? Like, yeah. people respect that. And people, they, they, yeah. they respect the creations as well. So yeah. whether it's starting a blog or writing a book about it or, or a podcast or whatever, they, they respect the fact that you've documented it some way. And by the way, that's going to make you stand out. Can you imagine the people we used to hire if they would be like, well, yes, I've been blogging about telecom for the last three years and uh, about how I've learned to become a better salesman in the process. All right, boom, hired. You're hired. And it makes Thank you better you. too. Yeah. It's not just a branding thing. You you actually get more out of your learning oh, yeah. when you have to do that. No, that's a, it's it's a great concept, man. Like just thinking about yes, like you're going to school to be a brain surgeon, and you're hanging out with brain surgeons while you're going to school, and you're going to meet up groups of brain surgeons. Like you're, you're immersing yourself as much as you can outside of school to to help reiterate these things that you're learning. I love I love that. It's funny because. When I went to school, I didn't even realize I was doing that with uh, getting my you know business management degree while I was a 
business manager. <laughs> but uh, yeah. but no, it's it's a great approach, man. I, you know the the one thing that I really want to when I was thinking about uh, Daniel's question here, the one thing that I want to uh, just make Daniel aware of, and anyone else out there who is is, is facing this question of like, how do I make college? a great experience. I think it's really important to know that there's always going to be a better option. Like the, the worst, the, the worst I can see or the, the, the worst things I see uh, with college students. Uh, Cause I would hate to feel this way if I was in the middle of my degree two years into it and I'm like, Oh man, I've been going for business management, but that brain surgeon degree looks much better. And maybe I would enjoy that more. And if that person was able to switch to brain surgery, then there would probably be something else that that would look uh, appealing to them eventually. Mm. I, I guess this is my way of, of telling uh, Daniel is is whatever you do decide to do with college, commit to it and understand that there are there are going to be these valleys, uh, but there are also going to be the peaks. And I think what you were saying about just kind of documenting it the whole time and being engaged as much as possible with that that profession or whatever it is that that Daniel's going to go and, and and get some schooling for. Like that is going to help him to stay focused and to help him stay more consistent throughout this this uh, this experience for him. But well, then how do we how do we uh, on the the commitment part? Because I agree with that to a great extent. Uh, the commitment is important. Nothing nothing is finished if we're not willing to commit, right? Mm-hmm. Um, however, there will be times where we realize we're taking the wrong path. Absolutely, and so, we we need to be willing to to not just stick to it because we've decided to commit to that thing if it is the wrong path. We're like, oh crap, I've climbed too far up the corporate ladder for me to jump down now, mm-hmm. and so I'm just going to keep climbing, I guess. And, and so we, we do need to be able to dis- to make a distinction between commitment and the willingness to walk away when it no longer serves a purpose. Totally agree, man. Like we, yeah, we absolutely have to be prepared to walk away from anything. Yeah. And for me, uh, it, and this might be different for you, TK, but for me, it's when there are a certain paths I go down and I realize like, Oh, like this is not only this is, is a net negative, meaning that, you know, all the angst and the valleys that I go through the peaks that I get out of it. It's just, it's not worth all these valleys. But the other thing too, is if it doesn't align with those values, if it doesn't align with my beliefs, like that is for me, that is when that bifurcation becomes very clear yeah. and I have to make a decision. Um, I, I, what, what, what do you think? Yeah. So, so this is interesting. I, I think I personally think you can be as non-committal as you want to be, as long as you are good at establishing expectations and maintaining frame. Uh, let, 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 let me give you an example. Let's say that's a great. That's a great. Uh, sorry, that's a great maxim, Sean. <laughs> oh man, I'm, I'm, I'm going for the maxim You're record. Rolling, what, what's the triple double version of a maxim? I don't know, but you've already hit it. You've already set the bar, man. I'm, I'm, I'm the Russell Westbrook of the minimalist podcast. Dude. <laughs> That's I'm, right, dude. I'm going for the triple double here. I got nine assists. I need one more. Nine no, but ex- expound uh, on that, man. That's great, dude. Yeah. So l- let's say I owe you uh, 200 bucks. Okay. Okay. And uh, one day I come up to you and I say, hey, man, um, um, I just wanted to give you this. Uh, uh, $100 here and I give you that 100 bucks. I owe you 200. How do you feel? I feel like, all right, thanks for paying me half the money back. Yeah. Uh, when am I going to get the other half? Mm, okay. Yeah. So uh, it sounds like you feel a little bit confused. Yes, definitely. And, and borderline annoyed. Yeah. 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 Okay. It's fair. All right. Let's change it up now. Okay. Let's say I don't owe you anything. Mm-hmm. And I come up to you and I say, hey, man, um, I really appreciate you guys having me on The Minimalist the other day. And, uh, 
You guys have had a positive impact on my life, and I just wanted to share a little bit of appreciation, brother. Here's $25. Let's not argue about it. Just take the money. I want to show you some love. How do you How do you feel now? <laughs> yeah, sure. I would say, I'd say thanks, man. Thanks for the 25 bucks. Yeah. You, yeah. Okay. All right. So in the first scenario, I gave you $100, and you were unhappy with me. Right. In the second scenario, I only gave you 25 and I'm the man in your eyes, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So it's not how much you give or what you do. It's about the framework of expectations that I'm operating in, yeah. right? In the first scenario, there was an expectation that I would give 200. So when I gave you a lot, it still came up short. In the second scenario, you didn't have any expectations. And when I gave you a little, it came up looking long. So when it comes to commitments, I think where most people go wrong is they feel the need to commit to something other than their curiosity. Mm. And they say things like, for the next five years, I'm gonna do this. It's kinda like what you talked about, the paleo guy. I, I now brand myself as the paleo guy and for the rest of my life, my religion is going to be this thing. I mean, people don't explicitly say that, but when they leave it so vague, so undefined, that's what it feels like, yeah. right? Um, if I say something like, I'm gonna start a new podcast and it's gonna be about this. Well, now you kind of expect it to be for the rest of my life. And when I stop, what do you what do? You, do? you say, well, what happened to that podcast? Yeah, but, but we what don't went do th- wrong? Yeah, but we don't do this with TV shows because TV shows know how to control the frame. They say this is season one uh-huh. and there are 10 episodes. So when we stop doing them, don't ask any questions, the season is over. And right. we let you know at the last episode, this is the finale, it's over, yeah. right? Um, so it's all about controlling that frame. Now, when we talk about things like taking on a new task or learning something, I, I think we have this default where we feel like the first response to a curiosity ought to be to sign up for some course or make a commitment. And if we're not doing that, we're not taking our curiosity seriously. And that's part of the schooled mindset. I'll give you an example of this. There was a guy who asked Isaac and I if he should take a Ty Lopez course. And if I remember the details correctly, he said it cost about $200. And he he was wondering if he should, he's, he's nervous about spending the money, should he make the commitment? And my advice to him was go on YouTube, pull up one of Ty Lopez's free videos, Okay, watch like an hour's worth of his free videos and then ask yourself, am I tired of this guy or do I want more? Right. And then you'll have your answer, right? Because if you're tired of him from uh, one hour of free stuff, then you're not gonna wanna pay the guy $200. That's gonna only end up bad. On the other hand, if you say, I want more, if he says something that moves you and changes your life, doesn't matter what anybody else thinks, watch another one. You know, Take that process a little bit further and you'll know organically by experimenting with it that this is something you do or don't want. And so because we have this default that says the first response to my curiosity is to make a long-term commitment, we overlook all of the free, simple, playful, least resistant ways to engage our curiosities. So I, I, I would caution against this idea that, you know, whatever it is you do, commit to it. I would say, Control the frame. Say, you know what? For the next two weeks, I'm going to try this out. Dip your toe in the water. Dip your toe in the water. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And no matter yeah. what, don't sign up for a Ty Lopez course. <laughs> All right. Um, <laughs> well, hold on, hold on. I just want to make a point about the commitment because what, what I'm saying about commitment is this, man, is that if Daniel has done the work, he has gone through the last uh, question with Brianna, he has uh, flirted around. He's, he's flirted around with, uh, you know, talking to other people in a profession. Mm-hmm. Uh, with brain surgeons, I'm just sticking with that because that's what we've been doing the whole show. Yep. And he's like, yes, like this is something that I have um, 
I have tinkered around with, I, I've engaged with, I find it uh, entertaining, I find it engaging, I, I want more, I want more of this. So now I think the commitment part comes in for when it gets tough. Mm-hmm, so he yeah. goes down this path of being a brain surgeon and then he gets his first year of residency and he's like, man, this is really, really hard. Yeah. I think that's, I mean, to me, that's where the commitment comes in. It's after you've done the pre-work, after you've done as much as you can to to choose a path for yourself, committing to that. It's like marriage. Yeah. I mean, committing to that path, uh, you, you've, and, and you know, college is a temporary marriage, I guess. But but that's, I guess that's what I'm really trying to say about yeah, commitment. Don't, don't confuse excitement with passion. And, and I think yeah. quite often someone gets excited about a, uh, a nice idea and then all of a sudden they actually have to put in the work. There's drudgery involved and, yeah. and you have to be willing to, to drudge through the drudgery is, yeah. is what you're saying with respect to commitment. Yeah, absolutely. Daniel, yeah. I'd love to send you a copy of our book, uh, Minimalism, Live a Meaningful Life. We talked a lot about values today and, and finding what your values are. And that, that book is ju- about just that. Ryan and I, when we first uh, started letting go and pursuing a more meaningful life, we had to identify what our values were because we didn't know. And and if, if you don't know what your recipe is for a more meaningful life, then how, how are you going to live it, right? And so I'd love to send you a copy of that. Uh, Sean, if you could reach out to Daniel, either send him the audiobook, the book book, or the audiobook. I'd appreciate it. And for those of you listening to this, we'd love to hear what you have to say. So if you have a comment or a tip about schooling or college or careers, including advice for any of our callers today, leave us a voicemail, 406-219-7839. It's my favorite part of the show. You can also send a, a voice memo right from your phone to podcast at minimalists.com. At the end of each show, we air our favorite comments and tips. So stay tuned for that. Ryan, what time is it? It is time for our lightning round where we answer questions from social media. Yes, we do indeed. We are on uh, Twitter and Facebook and Instagram at The Minimalists and at TK underscore Coleman, um, at least on, on Twitter. I know that for sure. We'll put a link to your Facebook and Instagram on, on the show notes as well. Uh, during the lightning round, this is where Ryan and I both do our best to each answer every question with just a, a short, shareable, less than 140 character response. We also put the text to these minimal maxims in the show notes so you can copy and share our pithy answers on social media if you'd like. And so now we are going for the maxims now. Well, we, we are. <laughs> but, 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 and also, we have all of our maxims in one place, so you can find them over at minimalmaxims.com. We have people who set that up as their homepage, so there's over a thousand of our, our quotes on there now. And so uh, maybe, TK, you can help us add to our, to our collection. Where's our first question from, Ryan? All right. Our first question is from Tom. Tom writes in, I'm a student and I'm struggling with deciding on whether I should stay where I am or whether I should change to a different degree that people refer to as the better fit for me. Hmm. Could you give me some tips on how to make good life slash education decisions as a young adult? So, so here's the thing. We'll give a pithy answer, but we don't, it doesn't have to just be pithy. We, we, can, we can ramble on and then tie it up with a pithy bow, right? <laughs> I do it the opposite way. I'll say pithy first and then I ramble on. <laughs> he unpacks it. <laughs> and then I unpack yeah. it, yeah. <laughs> here's your gift. Let me open it for you. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. It's the LeBron approach. Get the triple-double stats first <laughs> right. then, then try to win the game if you can. <laughs> well, well my, my pithy answer is don't confuse schooling with education. And, and I think really that... that too often we say, well, I'm going to sign up for that course. And all of a sudden, uh, via college, I'm going to, via osmosis, have all of these things in my brain four years later. Or I'm going to sign up for the Ty Lopez 
you know, real estate course or whatever the hell it is. And all of a sudden, just by paying the money and putting that debt on my credit card, all of a sudden I've attained all the knowledge. Knowledge. Um, uh, <laughs> and um, I, it doesn't work that way. Don't confuse schooling with education. Yeah, I would just say uh, the best person to give you advice on what's best for you is you. Uh, it's it's too often that we, like you were saying, man, we get these social pressures from parents, from friends, from from coworkers, whatever, telling us what we should and shouldn't do, and it really uh, it can stunt our our progress in something. And for me, it, I, I'm trying to think of like this magic formula, like how did I get confidence to just you know kind of I don't be vulnerable to put myself out there to to take a risk on something that people told me was too risky to take a risk on. Like I don't have a a magic formula for that. But, but I do know that, uh, what did you say earlier? The pithy thing you said earlier, TK, about the only way, oh man, I, I'm gonna have to go back to the show notes and, and look at it. No, but you, you're basically talking about like the only way you can really, um, you know, kind of be, we were, we were talking about commitment and the thing that you said about commitment, about really the way to kind of gain respect is to, uh, is to be consistent. I'm, doing a very very bad job of to control the frame to yeah, establish expectations right, right. Yeah. yeah so i i guess w- what i'm trying to say is is that when we use other people's expectations to to run our life it's going to make us uh it's just going to make us trepidatious to do anything on our own and 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 there is there is something that we have to commit to on ourselves to take a chance to to go outside of what everyone else is telling us what to do um, don't let don't let others' expectations dictate your decisions. Yeah, there's something pithy for you. Yeah, that's good too. Can I? Uh, I I'm, <laughs> this is part of me rambling. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, so uh, regarding the whole bit about people saying uh, you should major in this because it's a better fit for you, I would say the only way to know what a better fit is is to try it on. If I hand you a pair of shoes and say this is the best fit for you, I might be right. I might be wrong. How do you know? Not by blind faith, not by self-confidence, but by conducting a simple experiment. Put on the shoes and you will know with certainty if it's the right fit for you. So before you change your major or do anything dramatic, before you place faith in what other people say, before you dismiss them, try it out. Pull up some articles on the topic. If it's philosophy, get a philosophy book, listen to some philosophy podcasts, and then pay attention to how you feel. Does it bore the hell out of you? They were wrong. It's not the best fit for you. If it makes you say I want more, then conduct some further experiments. Try it on for size. Keep it simple. What's our next question? All right, Joshua Hook. One thing I struggle with working at a university is that there are so many meetings and administrative tasks that take me away from my research and writing. But not showing up to faculty meetings or refusing to pitch in on admin would reflect poor departmental citizenship. Well, my, my pithy answer here is too often we confound talking about work with meaningful work. I th- remember back in the, the corporate world, we had meeting Mondays. I had nine hours of meetings on Monday. Like we crammed. Is, I, had, I had the pre-meeting meeting for the first meeting, which was actually the second meeting of the day. And, and then from there, there I had a marketing meeting, a merchandising meet, like it just, just filled back to back to back meetings. And we had meetings about meetings about meetings. And after a while, you just sort of have to step back and say, okay, um, this is part of what I'm required to do right now. I could miss those meetings, but only if I could 
prove that the value I'm providing is so much greater than attending those meetings, but it has to be so much greater because they put such an emphasis, they put a huge value on going to those meetings. And even though they weren't valuable, we often confuse valuable with, with value, the values of the corporation were that you needed to conform to these meetings. Now, of course, uh, uh, for me, it was like, okay, I'll spend the other six days a week because there are seven days in a week. I'm going to work all seven. Um, I'll spend the other six days doing something that's going to add as much value as possible, but I know I have to, it's easier for me to conform. And so the question that I think Joshua Hook has to ask himself here is, is it more valuable for you to conform or can you provide enough value that you don't have to conform? Yeah. Uh, my, my short answer is if you find a job you love, you'll work your ass off to keep that job. So the question is, Joshua, how much do you love this job? I mean, there are there are obvious administrative things that the people in the ivory tower are going to set up and make you do. The question is, is do you still love your job? Um, if I loved managing people. I really loved uh, helping people move from getting fired to becoming employee of the month. I really loved uh, helping uh, that, that, that person who really wanted to get that promotion and, and showing them the steps in, in order to get a promotion. I really enjoyed that, that, that level of interaction I had with people, helping them develop their career in some way. That was like 5% of my job. I mean, the other 95%, it was filled with meeting Mondays and, and you know, a lot of other uh, stuff that I wasn't willing to put up with. Mm. So it, it wasn't a job that I absolutely loved. Um, Joshua, if you absolutely love your job, but you got these admin things happening, like, yeah, sometimes you got to do stuff you don't want to do. Josh and I still have to pay taxes. We still have to do a lot of things that come along with being the minimalists that are administrative things that, yeah, I look at them sometimes and I'm like, what the hell are we doing? But yeah, at I the have, end, I have a whole list of those things I have to do today. Right. I'm like, <laughs> I can, I, now I can outsource some of these things, but they won't get done the same way that I want to do. So am I willing to, uh, what's the decision I have to make, right? Do, mm -hmm. If I outsource it and realize like, okay, it's not going to get done to the level that I want it to be done. I can't outsource everything. Like sometimes I don't want to write, but I'm not going to outsource my own writing to other people, right? right. Um, and so, so I think it's important to, yeah, make that decision. Are, are you willing to drudge through that drudgery? Yeah. All right, so I want to adopt an entrepreneurial approach here because there's, there's learning to accept the things about our work that we don't like which is just part of being an adult, but then there's also giving ourselves the opportunity to see if we can negotiate you know, our possibilities. Um, and and that, that's always something we should at least give a fair shot at. Mm -hmm. uh, Zig Ziglar says, the best way to get what you want is to help somebody else get what they want. Uh, your power to negotiate comes from your ability to figure out why things matter to other people and then to take your own self-interest and present it to them in a way as if it's a segue that leads to theirs. So the first thing I would do is I would say, what does my attendance at these meetings signal? Okay, uh, And what value does my presence at these meetings create? Don't assume that it's arbitrary. Don't assume that you're required to be here just because someone's trying to ruin your life. There's something that somebody is getting out of your attendance at these meetings that's valuable to them. You gotta find out what that is and make sure your understanding is really precise. Then try to figure out a way that you can amplify that value by not being at the meeting but doing something else instead. This is an example that doesn't perfectly apply because I don't work at a university, but I have a meeting, I had a meeting this morning with my CEO that started at the same time as this podcast. And with great confidence, I said to him, I need to cancel our meeting because I'm going to be going on the Minimalist Podcast and we're gonna talk about a variety of things. One of those things will be Praxis. And he predictably said, 
cool. Why? Because I know what my CEO wants and I know what the purpose of the meeting is. The purpose of the meeting is for us to discuss ways that I can do my job better and ways that we can grow and promote praxis. Me being here is actually something that allows me to do that more effectively than being at that meeting. Yes, the circumstances are unique to what I do, but that but that fundamental principle is the same everywhere. Yeah, I think that's right. And we got a, a bunch of a bunch more questions here. Unfortunately, sorry that wasn't no, around. no, that's, <laughs> that was perfect. No, man. that's good. Uh, we got we got a bunch more questions here, and um, here's the thing. I was going to pick one more bonus question. We had two really good ones. I knew TK was going to be here. So, well, we have two of them here. One is uh, from Freely. Do you have any tips to help people in their 30s and 40s find what they want to truly do with their time in order to earn a living? And the other one is from Chris. I find the field of education to be frustrating and broken. Do you have any advice for teachers considering to leave their profession? So if you want to listen to our answers to those two questions, you can tune into this week's Postscript. Each week we uh, publish a Postscript episode over on the Minimalist's private podcast. Uh, the Minimalist's private podcast is just for our Patreon supporters. That's that's why it's private. So if you want to support our show and help keep this podcast 100% advertisement free, then head on over to theminimalists.com slash support. In addition to our weekly Postscript episode, uh, the Minimalist Private Podcast feed includes our monthly Ask the Minimalists Anything episodes, unreleased recordings from our live events, and the entire back catalog of past private episodes. And once you become a supporter, you'll receive a personal link to our private feed so that it plays in your regular podcast app, right next to the podcast that you're listening to right now. And as a Patreon supporter, you also receive access to our monthly live stream videos, as well as first access to tickets to all of our live events before those tickets are available to to the general public find all the details and good stuff over at the minimalists.com slash support and here is a snippet from this week's postscript episode what are the practical tips for people in their 30s 40s or even in their 50s that are trying to figure out what to do with their time they're not a living Sure. Uh, I think this is as much of a problem for people in their 30s and 40s as people in their early 20s. Uh, it's just that by the time we get to our 30s and 40s, we get a little bit better at giving up or rationalizing the choices we've made or or just getting comfortable or doing things like saying, I'm just going to focus on, on the kids and giving them the opportunity and I'll live out my dreams through them. But this is a common thing. So number one, don't feel guilty about it. Don't feel ashamed of it. Most people in their 30s and 40s don't know how to answer this question. Second thing I would say is start small. Um, instead of putting pressure on yourself to find out what you feel called to do overnight, instead of putting pressure on yourself to figure out a way to make money you know, in the next six months, just start by asking yourself, what are some things you're interested in? Do the Alan Watts exercise about, you know, what would you do if money were no object? Are there any problems that you enjoy solving? Are there any forms of value that you enjoy creating? Are there any people that you enjoy working with? Before you think about how to make money, think about what it is you want to do to create value. Uh, the second, I mean, the, th the third thing is start experimenting with little ways. All right, and we're back. And if you want to hear that full conversation, you can become a patron over at theminimalists.com. Okay, now it's time for our added value portion of the show. 
All right, well, since, since we have TK here on the podcast, I do want to talk about uh, a couple things. One is you have a podcast called Office Hours. It's with Isaac, and, and you, you, you have finished the first season. When's the second season coming out? Because now is the perfect time, by the way. We'll put a link to it in the show notes, but it's just off, Office Hours. If you listen on Overcast or, or Apple or wherever, you can just type in uh, Office Hours. You can find it over there. The first season, now is a great time to go back and binge the first season. If you, have, uh, if you need career advice, uh, uh, they, they certainly answer answer a lot of great questions about about careers and and unlike us they keep it fairly minimal it's succinct um <laughs> oh, i don't know about that <laughs> <laughs> no you, you guys do a great job you answer a few questions per episode and and uh, i appreciate what y'all do over there so um when's when season two starting up yes so we will actually be premiering season two live at FeeCon. Fee is the Foundation for Economic Education. You can check out their site at fee.org. Um, next month, we'll be we'll be doing a live episode of Office Hours, and that will be the launch of season two. In the me- in the meantime, get caught up on season one. Yeah, you can go back and, and yeah. take a listen, find the ones, the, the find the questions in there that that pique your interest. And also, you have another podcast which I have not listened to, so I need to know more about it. Small Business Edge. What's that about? Small Business Edge. It is a podcast uh, sponsored by Ceteris. And with this podcast, we focus on uh, franchise owners and the, the, the everyday lifestyle of, of CEOs. You know, lots of people are familiar with the titles that correlate with running a business, but most people don't have an idea of what the day-to-day life is like. Mm. If you're a CEO of a franchise or, or, or you know, you're the owner of a franchise, rather, like, what do you do? What, what, is, what does an average Tuesday look like? We talk about those kinds of things and we also talk about the sorts of difficulties they faced as they transitioned from you know having a career to owning a franchise, what what influenced their decisions, what sorts of things they wish they knew, and what are some of the you know the, what's some of the advice they give to other people who are just starting out. Gotcha. So uh, one other place to go that I recommend for TK Coleman, we already recommended the talk that he gave. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. But I want to put a link to his blog, which you can find over at tkcoleman.com. But specifically, this article is called A Quick Question About That Brilliant Idea You Have. And I'll just read the first uh, paragraph here, but uh, I'll let you all read the whole thing because it perfectly sums up the way I feel about ideas. Uh, What's so good about it if you're not acting on it? This is, the, this is not only a question for artists, entrepreneurs, and other people who identify themselves as doers. It's also for philosophers, thinkers, visionaries, and self-proclaimed idea guys. If you truly find a concept to be fascinating, why not create space in your life to play with it, to experiment with it, to see where it takes you when you combine it with a little innovation? So let me, let me, let me ask you this. Um, I have people come up to me at will be at like a book tour or something, and it's one of the things that drives me crazy. They're, they're, we're doing a book signing at the end. We're dishing out hugs to everyone, and they're like, "Hey, I've got a really great idea for a book. Can you write it for me?" <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, "Do you? Re- I have a lot of great ideas." most of which I'm not acting on. I don't want to act on your idea because your idea is worth nothing. It is truly worth nothing unless you're willing to do something about Mm. it. 
Mm. Is that fair? Mm. Yeah. yeah. I, mean, it, it, I mean, I think that's really where the rest of this article goes, and we'll put a link to it in the show notes. But, man, I, I know that we, we get these great ideas. We get excited about something, but that excitement is worth nothing unless you're willing to actually put in the work, to drudge through the drudgery and and, and realize, like, oh, wow, th- there will be this, uh, what, what is Seth Godin called? The dip, right? Yeah. There'll, there'll, there'll be this, this, this period in time where you actually feel like, oh, like, this isn't working out before it does work out. Mm-hmm. And, and and the only way you're going to know is like you know, with the shoe analogy, you got to be willing to try that idea on and see if that idea fits. Absolutely. And there, there are a lot of frustrated people in the world who feel like, I'm, I'm, I'm an ideas guy. I'm really creative. And nobody listens to me. Nobody takes me seriously. <laughs> and, and there's a very important distinction that a lot of people who fall into that category miss out on. And it's the distinction between adding to someone else's job description versus creating my own role, right? And what most people mistake for having an idea amounts to nothing more than creating extra work for somebody else. Mm. And you shouldn't expect your CEO or your supervisor to get excited about your ideas if all that really means is, hey, I found some more work for you to do amidst (laughs) your already busy life. No, like people respect ideas when you show a willingness to have some skin in the game, when you show a willingness to bet on it. Not when you say, hey, here's a book you ought to write, but here's an idea I believe in so much that I took the time to write the book even though I knew it was possible that nobody would even read it. Mm -hmm. Even though I knew it was possible that I was taking the risk of wasting my time. When people see you do that, They respect you. They know that you take that idea seriously and it raises the probability that they'll actually engage it. I talked about this in my, you know, dreams don't come true, decisions do talk, that people don't care about your idea, they care about the momentum. That's what they invest in. Mm -hmm. You never see a job like posting online for like, we're trying to hire an idea guy. (laughs) (laughs) We've just run out of ideas and our company needs someone to come in and give us more work to do. Does any corporation have that position really? I mean. (laughs) Right, exactly. (laughs) It it, it just doesn't happen because the the ideas aren't worth anything unless you're willing to, to go through the execution. So those are two things that have added value to my life. Your podcast, Office Hour, I definitely recommend that. Check out TK Coleman's blog. Subscribe to that. And he'll every time he writes a blog post, it'll show up right in, in your inbox. And also one more thing. If you want a further discussion on education, the, the guy where I first f- found you, uh, Stephen Patterson, uh, he has a, a recent episode uh, on his podcast, which is called Pat- Patterson in Pursuit, episode 85. It's called College Isn't for Education. And he interviewed a guy named Dr. Brian Kaplan, author of a book called the case against education, which is some irony in there that a doctor wrote the book, but also maybe he's the person who's best suited to write the book as well. He's yeah. gone through all the, he's he's reached uh, level theta seven in the education process <laughs> yeah. and, and learned that maybe, uh, and by the way, he is more, uh, well, Patterson is, is rather, um, uh, dogmatic. I, that's not the right word, but he's 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 on one side of the equation. He's he's anti. He's rather anti-college. But the guy who wrote this book, Dr. Kaplan, isn't necessarily the. He, he talks about some of the reasons that you should go to college and what why it makes sense and the the stats behind it as well. And so it's a more nuanced approach than you might think, given the uh, the title "College Isn't for Education." Can I toss in two cents on that? Yeah, of course. Uh, Sent number one. 
Isaac Morehouse also interviewed Brian Kaplan on his podcast as well. And I think that one's particularly interesting to listen to because obviously Isaac Morehouse, my colleague, is the founder of an alternative to college, right? right. Um, so he challenges him, questions him, and converses with him in a, in, a, in a unique way. I think you'll enjoy listening to that. I'll check it out. Yeah, scent number two is uh, Brian Kaplan uh, offers an interesting thought experiment. He says, um, consider what happens whenever there's something like a snow day or something happens where um, you know, a professor says, this class is canceled. What do students do? They all celebrate. They're always happy, right? No one's ever angry about that. They're always happy, um, which, which is evidence of the fact that the product they're paying for, it's not information. It's not knowledge. It's not learning. College is the, school is the only product where the customers celebrate <laughs> when when it's canceled. If you go to the yoga studio and they say we're closed for snow day, you're gonna be upset right. because you want the yoga. What do people want out of college? They want the signal. They want the credential that's going to signal to the world, hey, I'm valuable, I'm somebody. And once you realize that that's where the real value is, you can then move to the next question, which is, is that the most valuable signal for the times that we live in, given the various ways that we can showcase our ability to create value? Yeah, it's interesting. I was, I was down, I was meeting with Drew. We're talking about doing music for the next documentary, uh, Less Is Now. And we're, we're pretty much done filming that. We still have a few things left and we're working on, this is our second documentary. And uh, Drew and, and, and Nate, they did all the music. They formed a band just for the last documentary. They created the most beautiful music for it. And I went down to Orange County and we were having lunch at this um, Anaheim, what's it called? Packing District. And I was there and I walked in the bathroom and I saw like a guy, first I just thought it was a hipster because he was wearing a stethoscope and I'm like, is that the new thing that's in with fashion? <laughs> and then I realized, no, he was signaling that he was, you know, uh, a like either uh, or in, in residency or, or, or whatever, like he was wearing the stethoscope around to show people like, I am a doctor, right? Well, I'm a future doctor. Yeah. Right, where, right, exactly. That that was probably more likely. Right. Like I'm an aspiring doctor, <laughs> um, but I don't know. It'd be like if I, you know, walked around. It seems like if I walked around with like a. a quill pen and a ink, ink, <laughs> ink well, dude, podcast Sean. Where were we at? Um, remember that we were at this bar and the and the gal was sitting there with that book. What book did she have? It was like this signal, like I am a writer, and I'm in this. It, I'm in had, th it had to be Infinite Jest, right? No, no, it wasn't. <laughs> I, for, I forget what book it was, but it was this like I'm a writer. Uh, I, I'm signifying it. Uh, I'm, I'm signaling that with this book. Um, but they were in this like really noisy, crowded like college bar. It, it, again, it was just a signifier to say, "Hey, I'm different than all of you, and I'm better than all of you." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what What's been adding value to your life recently, Ryan? Oh man, you already gave a bunch of awesome recommendations for TK. Uh, dude, I've been listening to this album by Frank Turner called "Be More Kind." Well, when I say it's an album, it's like you know how the how the guys are how the how the guys and gals are releasing songs these days. Like he's got five singles that he's released on this album. Uh-huh. So it's more like an EP right now. But, but it's like a forthcoming album. Right. There's like another seven songs that you know, Frank yet. will release over over the period of the next ten years. I don't I don't even know like <laughs> like <laughs> I don't know what like are there I don't know what they're doing these days. I know kids like singles, uh -huh. but God, it is well, I so, think the albums are dying, but sa sadly, it I mean, is I'm so frustrating. Guy. Like he's got five amazing songs on there. Yeah. And I'm just like itching to, to hear the rest. But anyway, check out be more kind by Frank Turner. It's, it's a great EP at this point. 
Hopefully, it will be a great at album. At some point, it will be an album, yeah. When we first walked in here, Ryan goes, have I recommended Frank Turner yet? I'm like, is this just some guy you know that you just want to recommend? <laughs> you guys should be friends with Frank Turner. <laughs> All right, well, I'll check out Frank Turner. Is it for me or is it not for me? Um, No, it's not for you. Well, you you you, recommend, you recommended to me the Lead to Wise album, the new one. Yeah. That's one of my favorite albums of the year I so know, far. I know, and I told you you would like it. Oh, my God, it's yeah, so good. I knew you would like that was my That's my recommendation for the podcast we're recording tomorrow all right all right just bleep it <laughs> sorry guys i don't no, listen no. to hip-hop no uh, yeah well okay well <laughs> <laughs> this is not hip-hop <laughs> uh, all right new jack harlow album then um all right let's see uh oh right t- right here right now this is what it's time for it's time for right here right now where we talk about what's going on in the lives of the minimalists i got a few things going on here right now uh we're, now we're settled in la finally at least mostly. Um, I we, we like aren't traveling nearly as much or at all at this point. Uh, I'm going to do a house tour of my house. It's a very ephemeral. It's going to be on Instagram Live, and so it'll only be there for 24 hours. If you want to be part of the live session, it's May 11th at 9 a.m. Pacific time, or you can tune in for the 24 hours after that, and you will be able to, uh, to I don't know, come into my house for a little bit, ask me a few questions. I'll, I'll answer some questions. And we've, we've done this with the last few places we live. We lived in the cabin in Montana. We'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. You can see a house tour there. Our two houses, when we were in Montana, we did house tours there. And really the purpose of that isn't to say, um, look at all this stuff that I have. You should have the same brands as me. No, it's to show you that what I live with, what I live without, and what is appropriate for my life given the, the stage uh, of the life that I'm in, right? I have a family. Family, a, a partner and, and a four-year-old, soon to be five. And um, here are the things that are appropriate for our life right now, but also the things that we live without and we're able to live without just fine. And so it helps you maybe take a look at my recipe, not to not to bake the same cake, but to figure out what are, what are the ingredients that you want to put in your own cake, so to speak. Uh, also, um, speaking of education, and, and not necessarily schooling. I'm teaching, uh, so twice a year I do a, a writing workshop. I, I do a longer How to Write Better class. It's a, it's a four-week online writing class. Um, a lot of people don't have the, the time or they don't want to make the deep dive commitment uh, that we talked about earlier. So what I do twice a year is I do a live workshop and, and allow you to sort of dip your toe in the water. And so that's coming up June 24th. If you want details on that, if you want to learn how to write better, uh, head on over to theminimalists.com slash workshop. It's called How to Write Better, and it's a, I, I tweeze out some of my uh, most important parts of the four-week class. It's, it's completely independent, so you'll get value from this. You don't have to take the four-week class. It's not some sort of seminar to get you to sign up for something else, but I want to be able to help you. If, if you're like, ah, you know, I really want to start a blog or I want to write more, I've been thinking about writing a book, maybe I can give you a few recipes, uh, a few ingredients for my recipe that will help move you in the right direction. Theminimalists.com slash workshop. That's coming up June 24th. Also, uh, we're doing a video podcast a video version of this podcast coming really soon uh, this summer. If you want to subscribe to that, head on over to youtube.com slash The Minimalist. We're in our new studio, thanks to our Patreon supporters here. And so uh, we got the lighting in here. TK, you can see this. It it makes you instantly, if we turn this light on, it makes you look 73% more handsome immediately. Um, (laughs) And And so uh, we have really good lighting in here. We got the sound panels. They they did a really great job making this studio. I mean, it's it's aggressively simple. 
people. I think you would agree with that, right? And uh, we, we've set it up in a way that has, has worked really well for us. It, it's, it's a great space. I can't wait to share it with you all on the video podcast. And also, if you uh, want the show notes to each and every episode, as well as any new writings from The Minimalist, head on over to theminimalists.com. Put your email address at the top. We'll never send you spam because that stuff's gross, but we'll email you the the show notes every time we put out a new podcast episode. What else you got for us, Ryan? I've got some uh, voicemail comments and tips from our listeners. Check them out. Hi, Josh and Ryan. My name is Emma. I am calling from Lumberton, North Carolina, in response to your media episode, and specifically in response to the question about uh, minimized news. Uh, I have three podcasts to recommend. Two are by NPR, and one is by BBC. Uh, this is exclusively how I get my news now, or almost exclusively. The first podcast is NPR's hourly news update. It's very small, very bite-sized, usually about five minutes or less. They update it every hour, and using most podcast apps, you can just refresh it whenever you want to listen to it. Typically, I listen to it twice a day during my commute. Um, and it's just kind of a, a little bite-sized review of everything that's been going on uh, in daily news, daily world news. The second one is called Up First, and it's a little bit longer, usually under 15 minutes, and that's one that NPR releases on weekday mornings around 6 a.m., and that usually is geared towards people who only listen to the news once a day or twice a day, so it's kind of a roundup of everything uh, that you might have missed over the past 24 hours. Uh, most of it is politics and world news, but they sometimes cover entertainment as well. And the third one is called The World This Week. It's by BBC. It's typically about a half an hour. And so it's a little longer, and it covers uh, world news over over the, the past week. And their tagline is how the world has changed in the past seven days. Uh, those are the three podcasts that I used to get most of my news. Doing that has allowed me to listen to the news while I commute, which I otherwise would not be productive during that time. Uh, also, while I'm doing laundry or cooking dinner, it just allows me to take in the news at a time when I don't have to sit there and stare at my phone in order to do it. Hey, Josh and Ryan. This is Morgan from Seattle and soon to be San Luis Obispo, California. I watched your documentary in April 2017, and it inspired me immediately. Over the following five days, I spent 25 hours going through all my things. I went to your lessons now, stop in Seattle, and now after 10 months, I've taken a dozen carfuls of items to Goodwill, saved a lot of money, and freed up a significant amount of time. We're going to do the Pacific Crest Trail this year, and getting rid of things has helped to significantly reduce the stress around moving. I've developed a couple helpful approaches that I think may also help others, so I thought I might share. One, I got rid of all my duplicates unless they were consumables. I donated unused shower gels and lotions, took craft supplies and journals to the elementary school near my home, and stopped buying trinkets when I visited new places. Ultimately, I now only allow for one duplicate if it's a consumable and no duplicates if I know it'll take me months to use up, like a journal. Two, for sentimental items, the single most helpful thing I've done is channel your phrase. Our memories are inside of us, not our things. And on top of that, I allow, allow myself time. My grandpa passed away last year, which allowed me to help my mom go through my grandparents' 50 years' worth of things and exercise my newfound minimizing skills. There were a lot of memories from my mom, who I must say did an impressively well job with the whole process. But I felt good about being able to see the things as things and not artifacts of my grandparents. I did keep four things from, my, from their house. 
a lamp, a silver four-leaf clover, an old compact desk, and a necklace from my grandma. Now, as time passes, it's easier to imagine parting with some of these things as well, and they may make it into my next men's game. Lastly, I have made these changes one step at a time. Over the last couple months, I found myself naturally focusing on one aspect of my life. At first, it was decluttering, then it was finding my quote-unquote why for not consuming items. Then it was working on having good conversations with friends and family around the change I was making. Through it all, I have found it helpful to write a few relevant minimal maxims on index cards and post them on my desk at work. Sometimes I'll also take a picture of those and make them my phone background. This gives me a daily reminder of what I'm focusing on and helps me internalize the approach that I know I want, but sometimes have a hard time staying consistent with in practice. Hi, my name is Sabrina Carlton. I'm from Flagstaff, Arizona. I've been listening to and enjoying your podcast and its inspiration very much, and I so appreciate it. I wanted to leave a tip for listeners today about both the mindful acquisition of new clothing as well as mindfully getting rid of clothing. As someone who does a lot of outdoor adventure myself, including in the wintertime, one of the pieces of clothing that we often struggle with is our face layers or our long johns. And they are pretty necessary for adventuring in cold weather, whether you're skiing, snowboarding, snowshoeing, or just building snowmen in the front yard. Base layers can often be pretty ill-fitting, poorly made. The fabrics are not always very environmentally sustainable. It's certainly something that I have struggled with plenty of times. I recently came to know about this clothing company started by a husband and wife team. It's called Carbo Clothing. And they created their company to fix this exact problem. They focus exclusively on base layers, and they make all of their things to fit and perform well. All of it's made out of sustainable fabrics, and it's made in Aspen, Colorado. Um, It is pricier, of course, than some of the cheaper things you're going to find, but it is well worth the price, in my opinion. But even better than that, they have a mission and a nonprofit arm they call Join the Flight. And this company allows you to donate new or gently used cold weather outdoor gear for distribution to porters and guides in third world countries. Westerners, including the founders of this company, in traveling to these third world countries to climb mountains have created a demand for guide services. And that's great for the local economy for these people. But often now these people are going to altitude and temperatures that they don't have the proper clothing to be at and that is putting them in a safety situation. So the founders of Corvo Clothing will collect donations of these new or gently used items that maybe, you know, someone gave it to you, it's not a color you like, or it just doesn't fit you quite to your to your liking. And they'll take them and they collect them and then once or twice a year they go to these communities personally. The founders actually go and hand off these items to the people in those communities so you know that they're getting into the hands of the right people. Um, I think that's just incredibly, incredibly cool how they have seen problems in their industry and are working to solve it. So um, if you want to check them out, they are online. If you want to check out their products or the Join the Flight campaign, CorboClothing.com. Corbo is the French word for reason. It's spelled C-O-R-B-E-A-U-X. Um, really cool people, really interesting company that I thought the listeners might like to know about. All right, y'all. That's it for this episode. If you have a question for The Minimalist, give us a call, 406-219-7839. And before we leave here, I just want to say, TK, 
Thank you so much for being a part of this, yeah, man. Dude. I found it to be a really meaningful conversation. I'm grateful you decided to spend this time with us. Man, this was really fun. I, I feel really uh, honored that you guys had me on. It's been great hanging out. I appreciate that. So if you all have a, a comment or tip uh, or a question for us, uh, you can give us a phone call or you can leave us a voice memo podcast at theminimalists.com. Check out TK Coleman's work over at tkcoleman.com. And if you leave here with just one message, we hope it's this. Love people and use things because the opposite never works. Thanks for listening, y'all. We'll see you next time. Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it Every little thing that you gotta have Every little thing that you gotta have you gotta reach for and you gotta grab oh i bet that you'll be fine without it so tear your eyes away or tear